XM 105, Sirius 206, the Opie and Anthony Channel. The Ron and Fez Show starts right now.
get down to it, Bopper. Yeah, buddies, we're going to get down to it. It's a Black Friday. Thank you, Marvin. So good. Got to give it up on a, on a little Friday, a little funk Friday. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. Right off the bat, we'll open up the phone lines because we got a little trouble in Engelin right now, the country of Engelin. Now, tonight, Hicks... They blow it out, and we start the Olympics, and we've got the whole Olympic gambling thing going on. You've been running it for us. You're all excited. I can't wait. Tons of people are playing. Today's your last day to really get involved without uh, starting a leg behind. Go over to the iBang. Sign up. We're all going to bet, even though none of us really know these things. We're going (laughs) to bet the races, uh, and every Olympic event winner gets a signed basketball by Shaquille O'Neal. That's a Shaq ball, people. Look, I don't know shit about women's judo, but I think Tamako Fukimi has a good shot at fucking taking it. That's my money's on as her. As good as anybody. As good as anybody right now. I mean, uh, unfortunately for you, women's judo is something I'm heavily into. Fuck. Because uh, I took it in a lot of rape, rape prevention classes. Oh, God. Uh, but as we're all so excited to get this thing started... Mitt Romney went over to shake a couple of hands and get in TV and make everybody happy. And he's had a faux pas or two so bad that there's now a Twitter hashtag called uh, American Borat. All about Mitt. And apparently what happened is he went over and said, uh, I don't know if they're ready or not. Why would he? Uh, Pissing off the mayor of London. Pissing off the prime minister. Maryland's a madman anyway. And that comes a day after one of his advisors, one of Mitt's advisors, said to the English, uh, we'll be better friends than you because we have the Anglo-Saxon connection that Barack Obama just doesn't understand. Oh. So that came across a little offensive crazy and then the thing of i don't know whether they're ready or not to doing see here's the thing i think happens with mitt he's a billionaire when you're a billionaire wherever you go people try to please you but for some reason when you're running for president you have to please everybody else in the world you got to kind of be a kiss-up guy the friendly guy he hasn't lived that way for a long long time has he ever well, he, uh, maybe when he was, you know, just like a little rich kid, <laughs> he would have known that you've got to, to, you know, grease a palm or two. But since then, everyone's like, a billionaire's here. Oh, you know how billionaires get treated in this country. Like gods. So, um, the American Borat, which I hope the nickname sticks because it was a fine movie. And I also like the name American before anything. It's good stuff. I mean, fucking Obama better fucking start throwing this out. Why not get an attack ad going? Just start calling him the American Borat. Do you want Borat to run your country? Look at him. Look at that stupid fucking bathing suit that he wears. He's the American Borat. Yeah, all right. I'm not an Anglo-Saxon. I'll admit it. But kind I am. And Borat was from Kazakhstan. Yeah, well, that's true, too. Uh, But I guess... They just feel like he's over there without meaning to, throwing elbows and knees and just being big and clumsy and 
clunky and doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. He's a train wreck. And his people are fucking him over, too. I think it's hard not to be a train wreck. That's the fucking thing. I think it's hard not to come across as the ugly American. But I don't know. It's kind of fucking hard to go in there and then just purposely start shitting on it on the Olympics and the job they're doing. Well, he thinks he's Mr. Olympics because he pulled the thing together in Utah. Yeah, we all get that. But what they came back and said was this is in the middle of one of the busiest cities in the world, not in the middle of nowhere, which, you know, fucking got to him. And I mean, Fez has dropped a full truth bomb here and big props on that, Fezzy. But it really is a big difference between doing the Olympics and you. First of all, you just act like it's great. Like if you go to someone's party, like if I went to someone's party, I couldn't go like this. My house is bigger than this. I don't fucking believe it. This is some fucking low quality snack. You've got to act like everything's great when it's their party. Fez is just typing away over there. It's being a good guest, really. Fez, what are you typing up on? I'm leaving comments in the American Borat uh, post on the iBang. Ooh. Aw, sit. By sit, what do you mean by that? Like shit. Okay, but you actually said sit? Aw, sit. It's like a play on shit. All right, let's see what Fez wrote. All right. Kind of. Well, it'll be nice because Fez kind of did a play on your bit up on the iBang. So it's all sticking together. It's a teamwork thing. Give each other pounds. Give each other pounds. All right, it's the Ryan and Fez show on... Uh, where's the pounds at? You guys give each other the pounds. It's the... Come on, I'm trying to do the thing. I'm trying no, to do the show. I won't blow it up. Hold on. Co-writers. Co-writers. Should we be pounds? Do you notice he didn't blow it up with you? Did you feel bad about that? I felt kind of awkward. It is weird when someone does it. If you... Follow the pound thing in one direction, and they're just like, no, pound done. Oh, come on. You know who will blow it up with the other time? Steve Leeds loves to blow it up. Fuck yeah. But he's, unlike you, he silently blows it up. Oh, no, I got to make the sound. I know. <laughs> well, you sound just like an explosion. Thank you. All right. Um, this has become a problem. Jerk store Sean just wrote Fez Watley, American Bruno. So that could turn into some fucking heat. Oh boy. We got an American Borat and an American uh, Bruno both together. I don't know why any of those guys feel the need to go over there. I mean, they're running in America. Well, they have to feel like they're supporting America, you know? Like, all right, I gotta go over here and support the team. He all right, Jennifer said this to Fez's uh, comment. Liked it better when Hicks said it. Mm. And then Beer said, Mitz is just a little locked up. And But Kaz said, love you, Fez. All right. Which sounds a little openly gay. That might be nice. Uh, Steven Tampa said, how can this guy be number one selection to lead our country? Let's face it. We're not comfortable with anybody running for president this year. None of us are excited about it. I don't run into people Going, it's election time. Uh, four years ago, it was a fucking we had fever hope. pitch. Because it was like, Obama's going to fucking make a run for it, dude. We we believed that we had hope. It's just apathy. It's just set in. Maybe we should do the same poster and have apathy. All right, cool. I'm going to call Shepard Ferry. After that, call Matthew. Uh, um, let's go over here to Mike. 
Mike, you're on the Ron and Fez show. How are you? Hey, Fez, what has become of you that you're typing up your comments on a keyboard rather than speaking into a mic? Well, if I could answer that for Fez, if he did say that line out loud, we would have just, when Hicks just said that. Well, it's dead silence no matter what. At least say something on the air so we can all hear it. Not everyone is sitting in front of their fucking computer, Fez. What the hell's the matter with you? How about hey. fuck you, Mike? All right, oh, come on, fuck. Fez. Going down. What is that all about? He what wanted me to say something. I, I just, uh, just the first thing that popped into my head. It's a Friday. Fun Fridays. Um, Chris, you're on the Run Fest show. Yeah, what I was thinking, I thought it was pretty self-serving, selfish for Mick to to go over to London when they got their hands full with the Olympics, and now security's got to worry about his ass too. It's probably had to be weird for those people in London when he showed up, and they're like, what? He's here today? But I'm doing something else. Yeah, yeah it's all about me, guys. It's almost like when you're deciding to do something at your house, and then your neighbor asks you to use the pool, and you're like, fuck, don't they see we're putting in a new patio? That's just fucking shitty of them to do. You gotta fucking know what's going on. Your Who's they? Those asshole neighbors. Wow. Okay, so you're focusing on that. You're actually treating that as if that's the discussion, not the metaphor. <laughs> you're right. Also, the neighbors Robbie. are shitty. Um, let's go over here to uh, John, Tennessee. You're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, Ronnie B. I want to ask you, what's going on up there in New York, man? It sounds like the zombie apocalypse. You got another unidentified monster washing up on the shore. Well, it's a chud. Um, it's basically just an old-fashioned chud. There's a picture of it up on the iBank today. And uh, I think we're going to do just fine with it. Uh, we're probably going to nuke the sewers. All right. And that should uh, clean everything out. Are people writing in, where are the... How do you play this game on the iBank? It's on the front page. Right there. It's uh, simply up under... Fantasy League for the Olympic Games. Yes. That's right. Yes. Fantasy for the Olympics. I am fucking ridiculously excited. I'm still mock drafting at home at night. It's pathetic. Hicks, you've got to now beat 10 pages of people. <sighs> Fuck. We thought it was going to be just a little thing. 10 pages. Well, everybody well, wants the people shack ball. Yeah, everybody wants a shack ball. I don't blame them. It's a shack ball. It's fucking basketball signed by Shaq. That's crazy. I like to have stuff signed by people that I know aren't going to live a long time. And you just don't run into elderly seven-footers. He's a big man. But hey, he's got that nice job where he sits down now. Yeah, I know. He's so fucking funny on that show, too. Him and Barkley I, don't, are great. I don't think that there's a comedy show that's better than that basketball show. <laughs> they awesome. should just call it Barbershop. He's <laughs> busting balls constantly. It's great. And then Barkley's thing is always stupid because he's doing stuff with the NFL Network now. And his idea is call people out to race. So if somebody will disagree with him and be like, Barkley, you don't know what you're talking about. All right, then let's race. What? I'll race you well, what's... anywhere. I'll race you. What's that going to prove, Charles? That I'm faster than you. Oh, no. It's almost like when you're six. <laughs> And you decide to settle something with a race. He lost a lot of weight, so maybe he just wants to show it off. Well, he looks great. And, you know, he's friends to everyone. I was going to consider him the fucking 
what I was calling for a while was American Flavor Flav, but I couldn't get it to catch on, mainly because I didn't even know this. Flavor Flav is American. He's of the States, yeah. Uh, today's your last day to get in on the Monday uh, Unmasked with D.L. Ugly. I just started to read D.L. Ugly's book last night. Yeah. It's fucking brilliant. He's a really, really different kind of thinker. And there's some stuff in there that is uh, bizarrely interesting. I love that. I'm going to say, I, I, it almost makes me want to bring up some of these topics, but obviously they're his, <laughs> so I'll have to save it for the unmasked. But I felt like immediately, like, oh, I wish I had a mic right now. I'd like to sit and discuss this as soon as I started to uh, uh, read it. Everybody is paying attention to this thing on the iBank today that these people believe that there's undeniable proof that ghosts exist. Now, if you had that undeniable proof, Fez, would you then believe in God? I mean, if there's any kind of afterlife. Because I think what people are saying when they say they don't believe in God is they don't believe that we personally go on to an afterlife. That's the only thing that they're saying. Because you could look at the universe and say, well, my God, this is God. Look at it. But... If you yourself don't get to live forever, then you're pissed about it. Oh, yeah. You want to fucking keep going, see what happens. Like any of the people who, go, if they found out there was a God, but they personally stopped existing, believe me when I tell you, they would not sit around praying to that God. They would just be pissed off about it. Just turns off. So, Fez, if you found out there were ghosts, would that change your spiritual views? No, it wouldn't change my spiritual views because I would think that's just another force of nature. There doesn't necessarily have to be a God behind that. It's just another thing of, like, uh, physics or something that we hadn't found yet. Well, you, you brilliantly come up with that. But you act like if we discover how a miracle works, then it's no longer a miracle. And that's the big problem that I have with atheists. It, you can't say, all right, we can explain this. So it no longer has a sense of awe about it. That's ridiculous. I brought this up on the air before, and we've got this other piece up on the iBang with the fucking walrus that does tricks. And if you look at a walrus's face and the way it acts, that's a fucking monster. Now, we don't call it a monster because we know what it is. But that motherfucker is a monster. And I think we do the same thing where some people look at if anything could, can be... Um, described through science. Anything can be figured out. It, it therefore is only not... Fez's thing of acting like something is just in nature is, goes to show that he can have a sense of all. He can sit around and, in, and enjoy things that are larger than him. Um, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. Here's uh, Tony in Kentucky. You're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, Ron, uh, just a quick moral conundrum. Oh, no. It's a moral conundrum. Conundrum. Uh, yeah, my wife's best friend, who we hang out with all the time, and is a really cool chick, has big, huge titties, awesome chick, uh, is dating this new guy and uh, brought him over to hang out with us for the first time. And he starts talking about how the World Trade Center was uh, a conspiracy that the government brought him down 
And then he started talking about how, like, the Batman massacre was also, like, a part of a conspiracy. I've been hearing and, that lately from people, too, and mainly because of the way that the kids seemed groggy the next day. And now that he, I guess he told somebody that he can't remember anything. Amnesia is his name. So they're starting to say, and I'm not even making this up, the CIA did this, the blah, 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 and I'm like, please. Well, that's my, that's my conundrum, is that, like, if she starts, date, keeps dating this guy, I can't be, I can't possibly be friends with him at all, because I just take someone that, like that as such an idiot that I could never respect him to be their friend. All right, so here, like, here's, this is the thing, before we even get it, because it could be about anything, but the point is, if your friend starts dating someone that you don't like, do you still hang out with them? Chris, I'll let you go first. Uh, I, I only hang out with them by themselves if I know that they're going to hang out with Do you make it a point of, I can't stand your crazy fucking boyfriend now? Uh, no. Uh, just keep just, that on the DL. I'm just like, oh, you guys well, see, hanging I, out? Can't make it. Sorry. Uh. I can't keep it on the DL, though. I, I got to tell her. I can't be like that. Uh, I've never had anything, you know... Uh, that I could say that I couldn't get used to people because I have a tendency rather than getting mad a lot of times is just cracking up when I hear people talk nuts. Yeah, when they talk nuts because they're not living with me. You know what I mean? Like I'm only going to see them at a party, and if anything, I'll just get them to go further and further. So <laughs> I'm kind of a fan idea. of that. <laughs> that's a good idea. Yeah, why don't you just try to play with that for a while? That's a great idea, Rod. All right, genius. all right. Talk to you later. Um. But I know, like, there are some people that are just obnoxious. What's awful is when they marry into your family. And then... You can't get out of it. Yeah. Well, it's a lot fucking harder. I mean, that sounds like a fucking nightmare. Well, you're going to see them at family events, <laughs> you know? And they're going to show up with those beer cans that they've also, like, have been knitted into a hat. Oh, and they're going to ask you if you want one. And they're you just, you know... You don't have to know, fucking hold the beer in your hand now, huh? Uh, I'll tell you right now. And I don't even want to make a big deal of it, but I can't go to too many family functions where I don't have to hear a long dissertation on slot tournaments these days. Slot and I, yeah, they just they go and they play slots in a tournament style. And whatever, whoever wins the most cash. Well, that's, yeah, you just what, push just, a button for hours. It's just fucking. And they're very, very hung up on slot tournaments. And then last time I. And I, I want to change this because I went like this finally. I don't want to fucking hear about slot tournaments anymore. Serious. Shut up about the fucking slot tournaments. How are they doing in them? I mean, they're getting far. They're, they're doing well. Wow, they never tell you about their losses. <laughs> um, let's go over here to um, James in Virginia. You're on the Manifest Show. Hey, Ronnie. Uh, so I heard Hicks say that you know, he he wants to live forever he does. because he wants to see what happens, sure. you know, with society. And I think most people feel the same way. So I want to pose the question, if society was in decline, do you still think people would feel like that? Well, this, I mean, it is an interesting thing because you could, I mean, saying that you wanted to live forever could be just setting up a hell. Um, what do you want to be doing a million years from now? Two million years from now. Eventually, the Earth's going to just explode. But even forget the Earth. The entire universe could eventually oh. bore you. Where you're like, I really... I'm going to take two, three hundred thousand years off. And just sit here. Hang out. Even when I was a kid, the idea of eternity seemed like 
too fucking long to me. Maybe that's because I wasn't a big fan of long car rides at the time, you know. But the fact is, eternity could be more than you want to deal with. It's kind of scary. But still, I don't know. I like to see where the fucking universe is going to go. Could be fun. Good. You're in. All right. Perfect. You're in for an eternal life. An eternal life. Go to this fucking pizza place with the ghosts. <laughs> Deal with them for a while. Do you believe in ghosts at all? No, I don't believe in ghosts. That sounds crazy. I do believe in ghosts. I do, I do, I do believe in ghosts. And though there's all those like ghost hunter TV shows, there's like three or four of them where people are just hunting for ghosts. It's, it's They just... do. I like when celebrities share their ghost stories. Oh, yeah, that too. I think it's just, I think it's crazy. And I'm animals. like, finally, I'm watching it one day, and I'm like, what is it with celebrities and lame-ass ghost stories? <laughs> but a lot of times, you will find people, people who've done Password, that will also tell you that they saw a woman walk down a hall and then disappear. And I'm like, how much money are they getting? I wish it, it opened with, look, I want you to know I've been paid $38,000 to tell this story. So here we go. It's not as impressive now. Well, you know they get paid a good piece of change. Yeah. You know, Andy Dick ain't going to go on that show for nothing, is he? At least not sober. Uh, James, you're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, Ronnie B., you heard about uh, Dane Cook's uh, shooter joke, Colorado shooter joke? Uh, no, did he do the joke on stage, on Twitter, where? They did it on Laugh Factory. He said the movie was so bad that 25 minutes in, uh, people probably turned to each other and said, uh, somebody please shoot me. Now, that actually happened? It's, yeah, it's on, yeah, look it up. It was, on, uh, it was online. It was on uh, Daily Caller. I forgot where I saw it. But yeah, so is everybody online. mad at him now for it? Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty big, and it's a nasty thing to say, obviously. Uh, well, again, it was, um, you know, a joke. And, and quite frankly, the last thing Dane Cook should uh, ever joke about is bad movies. <laughs> <laughs> All right, punch it out. Because, and I'm not even making this up, I had no I, idea that this was uh, Dane Cook, I guess the first time I saw it, but he was in like a fucking wacky movie with um, Dennis Rodman. What? I think it was him. I woke up and saw it last night. I'm going to check it out. To see if it is indeed true. I don't even know what it would be called. But I saw Dennis Rodman was like flying around in a car. And I think Dane Cook was in it with him. But I might have been crazy that it was Dane Cook. All right, hold on. I think it's called Simon Says. It is? Dennis Rodman, Dane Cook. I just saw this in the middle of the night. Holy shit. <laughs> Play a little bit of it and see if you can see it. Dane was acting really way over the top, too. When did the pool start hiring sideshow freaks? <laughs> the hormones, the mood swings. Man, I was like working for Chewbacca. Morning, boss. Oh, yeah. I remember when it came out. What year was that? 99. But I didn't know it was Dane Cook at the time. I completely forgot about this fucking movie. He was like the wacky sidekick. <laughs> there is being wacky. 
Hi, you got moves? You got moves? I got moves, okay? Don't let me get all Jurassic on your ass, yeah. <laughs> See, he's a wacky sidekick. I thought he was going to fuck her up as a raptor. Uh, what exactly was... This Holy is really... Shit. Bizarre. This is bizarrely bad. Let's see what it's even rated there. <laughs> Did they even give it, like, a number? I think IMDb had gave it, like, a half a star. 2.3, which is as low uh, as you'll see a lot of things. Um, Don in Kentucky, you're on Fez. Ryan B, I, uh, I happened to wake up in the middle of the night last night and catch that show, too. It was crazy. I said, is this really Dane Cook in this fucking movie? It's very and, strange. Uh, I woke up. It was like 4 o'clock in the morning, right? Yeah, something I, like that. Four, and then I thought three, I was dreaming five. because I see Dane Cook and Dennis Rodman. Fucking. I had to sit there and watch it for like 15 minutes. Yeah, I did so the bad. same exact thing. I wish I had on your number. I would have fucking called you, Don, going, what the fuck was Dane Cook? I know it's early in his career, but a Dennis Rodman movie? And it looks like he was doing like a lot of his stand-up. It was just like handing his yeah. stand-up over these guys. All these uh, like Jurassic Park kind of dinosaur moves and stuff. It was pretty crazy. So dry hump on the couch. Um, all right, thanks, Don. I like the tagline, the game's not over until... Simon says. Oh, that is good. That's fucking good. Although, didn't they already use that in a diehard whatever? Simon says, go to the, oh, yeah. <laughs> go to the ferry and look out for the explosives. Find, some, find a briefcase and some jugs in a park. And Simon a says, problem. go up uh, town with the N-word on a sandwich board. All right, so let's uh, look into the controversy about the Dane Cook at the Laugh Factory. Uh, and see if that is true or false. Um, did you find it anywhere online? Yeah, I found it um, on YouTube. They put it up already? It was, it was, and Laugh Factory, this looks like someone recorded the audio and threw it up there. All right, let's take a listen. So I heard that uh, the guy came into the theater about 25 minutes into the movie. I don't know if you've seen the movie. The movie's pretty much a piece of crap. And, uh, yeah, spoiler alert. Um, and I know that, if, you know, none of that had happened. I'm pretty sure that somebody in that theater about 25 minutes in realizing it was a piece of crap probably was like, oh, fucking shoot me. Okay, I gotta be honest. I coast you a little with the jet with the pantomime. Uh, it looked like he did okay with it. Yeah. Well, didn't didn't look like uh, people were outraged. So he got a couple. Oh, oh. at first, but then but he really got the, fucking big. See, he got the laugh. Then the, oh wait, I just thought <laughs> this is real, and then returned to the laugh. Oh yeah, it sounded like he almost started to get some applause and cheers at the end of it. Well, some people just like anybody that's just like you're out there, dude. I'm fucking enjoying that part of it. You are out there. Um, Jeff, you're on the Run of Fest show. Hey, guys. Um, just wanted to uh, let you know, Ronnie, that you were wrong when you said that uh, there's a religion where they didn't uh, believe in any afterlife. They'd just be angry. Uh, the Jews don't believe in any afterlife. I don't think I said that they would be angry. I said people wouldn't be leaping on the joint. And you don't see a lot of people trying to join the Jews. 
Oh. Yeah, that's true, but I well, mean, one good thing this, this is the thing about well, they're actually just ambivalent about it. They're not saying that they don't necessarily believe in one. I believe they just don't even bring it up. But the thing that I like best about the Jews is that they don't go around knocking on people's doors. No missionaries whatsoever. Yeah, asking them to join up. You're never like, oh my God, is that the Jews at the door again? They got a Torah. Fuck. All right, so what is it again? What are we doing here? The Jew Tower, huh? It's a great magazine. I'll tell you all I wanted to do. after We had this great deli yesterday. Delicious. Uh, but then, did you watch Louie last night? I, I went, missed it last night. Went very, very deep into a Lower East Side deli. Just oh. fucking eating just piece after piece, and I was starving. <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. I'm going to sleep for a while, then get up and watch Dane Cook and Dennis Rodman kick the shit out of the fucking world. Hell yeah, that fucking movie looks like it's the shit. Simon says... Dane Cook's all over this movie. It's got second billing. So I don't think his... Uh, bit was as fe- as offensive as the guy let on. I think it was basically a... Uh, and I'm very surprised. I think the thing that would freak most people out is that you said it was a bad movie. Because you know the way those bad heads love their movies. Oh, they are not going to take kindly to him. They want nothing bad said about it. Here's our buddy, uh, the Blowhard. Blowhard, you are going to be playing with us on the... Uh, on the contest that we got up on the iBang about the Olympics. I can't wait for the Olympics. I'm an Olympic guy. I just sit and stare at that stuff. And, you know, something new um, hit me recently. I was watching the Olympic trials on NBC a couple of weeks ago, and I watched the women running. And I'm not really into black women, but all of a sudden now I got the love jones for these women with the short shorts and the big long legs, the hurdlers, the uh, sprinters. I can't get enough of them. They just turned me on so much. Well, what was the, during the 80s? Remember we had that sex symbol, uh, Journey? Flojo? Yeah, what happened to her? She was the biggest thing ever happened. I think she died. I, she did? Yeah, she, she did. Yeah. What'd she die from? She had some kind of disease or something. I'm not Jeez. Sure. Epilepsy. I, had, I, I didn't even... How did I miss it? What year did she die? 98. Uh, she was, oh, dark yeah. time for Ronnie Bay. 38 years old. How was that? Mm, lost time. But anyway, the reason I was calling is I know you you know you watch Big Brother and I watch I Big do. And here's the question. All the years we're watching this show, there's a half a million dollar prize or whatever it is. And last night the vote now two, you know, semi attractive girls, I guess. And I'm always wondering, they show them in their bikinis and massaging each other and sleeping together and cuddling. How come nobody ever blows or fucks somebody for their vote? How come nobody ever says, keep me in the house, vote for me, and I'll suck your dick? And even that Jim Dandy gay guy, why isn't he giving handjobs to stay in the house? All right, so your thing is, why is there more prostitution for money? Exactly, because you're playing a game, you like the guy anyway, so why don't you just go up to him and say, hey, look, you keep me in the house and I'll blow you, because they're sleeping together, they're cuddling, they're snuggling. Well, some of them do have sex, but very, but I will, yeah, I will admit that no one has ever said, if you vote for me, I will blow you. But wouldn't that be incredible if, if it was like real human nature and somebody's really... They should put the prostitutes in the house, is, is that what you would like to watch? Prostitute house. Maybe yeah, we'll get to work on this. I mean, reality house, because... You know, just to get your way, you know, we know some people can be a little devious. And I'm watching it last night, and I'm like, wow, you know, these two girls are kind of attractive. And 
One well, they're very attractive. I, you don't have to play it down. They no, were I'm very saying, The girl like, from I, Staten Island that they voted off, yeah, I think, is like very attractive. Just because of her, you know, the, I guess she was just a typical New Yorker, and they were trying to get like a Jersey Shore element with her, I think. Yeah. But why couldn't she go up to the guys and just go, look, meet me in the shower, I'll jerk you off, vote for me? I think the reason why is that she's not a prostitute. Well, maybe they got to find people of low moral character to be on that show to make it interesting. Because the guy who got thrown out, his brother was a scumbag on Survivor. Yeah, I never watched the Survivor. Anymore, yeah, so but he was a douchebag. And then he was on it, like, I think twice. And then his nephew was on Survivor. And now they got this douchebag. And if you can get that element of somebody who's violent and crazy and ready to start a fight and throw down, no. why not get a skanky girl to well, say? Well, I'll just show you how this is like real life, and I'm going to bring it up to you. Hard Rock Johnny is trying to take you out of our fantasy football league, Blowhard. Well, he can try all he wants, but he's got 17 leagues that he's in. He's already got a Kathleen from the Bronx on his side. Well, I don't believe that for a second. Believe it, dude. She's believe loyal it. to me. And he quit friend. those other leagues. Yeah, he did quit them. I don't believe him for a second. And I even supported him. How dare he? Uh, that's just... I even told him I supported him. So That's just Johnny. That's his way. What a duplicitous creep. I mean, yes. I, I supported him in our league. I said it'd be good to have him. He, he knows the game. He's, you know. I know you're helping him stab you in the back. All right, Gary wants to bring up something to you. Go ahead, Gary. You're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, buddies. Hey, uh, Blowhard. First of all, your uh, shitty New York accent makes me wish that I was in Aurora uh, last week watching the Batman movie. <laughs> yeah, I wish you would, too. In the Maybe. front row. Secondly, what's with you talking about all this sucking and fucking and long legs and short shorts? I think you need to get laid, brother. What's wrong with you? Hey, I do okay for myself. What about I you? I do. What about you, Mr. Glory Hole? Oh, oh shit. I don't I, What is uh, Mr. You don't Glory even know what you're doing. You go into the back and some old, uh, old chicken hawk comes after you and gives you 20 bucks oh, and you blow the guy. Come on. Just um, get into reality. <laughs> Here's Charlie in Santa Cruz. You're on the Run of Fez show. Thank God this is an XL channel run. I've never yeah. heard Blowhard be so hard up. What's going on, Blowhard? Why are you being so graphic? Because graphic is as graphic does. And but you don't, you aren't it. normally that. And I see Fez has been taken back a bit because you're, again, describing the worst things that can happen as gay sex. Have he, you picked up on that? He immediately, he immediately oh. goes for the gay attack. No, no, what, what, gay attack. what do you mean gay attack? Okay. When the guy said you had you sound you sound sexually frustrated, you accused him of basically being in a rest stop using a glory hole with guys. Worst thing that you say First about him. Well, I think most glory holes are in We're bars, not do. rest stops. That's number one, and number two. Hey, no matter how you get it, whether you're gay or straight, you're getting it. That's my whole point. I don't discriminate. Sex so you're sex. saying like Janis Joplin, get it while you can. Get it while you can, baby doll. Just go out there and. Here's Jeff in Columbus for Blowhard. Shake that money, man. Hey, hey yeah. Blowhard. Hey, buddy, I got a question. How about you want to uh, win this fantasy league? Because, uh, you know, you should offer a blowjob, sucking and fucking. See? And uh, just don't sing it, bring it, brother. Come on. See, what that's. You so you want me to win so then I can blow you? All right, Blowhard. What well, happened yeah, to you on. today? So you never. These people. You never used to work blue. Yeah, maybe it's a Blue Friday. What could I tell you? Um, Black the Olympics Friday. got me all revved up. And then Big Brother last night, I'm saying to myself, million dollars. 500,000. Uh, Don, you're on the Run of Fez show. 
Yeah, doesn't this guy know that women, most girls and women now like it anal and you can come down their throats? Wow, what a hand jobs. When I was in seventh grade, I was getting hand jobs on the bus. Where is he from? Uh, he's from Brooklyn. Oh, nobody gives hand jobs anymore. Right. You're saying you disagree, <laughs> Blowhard. Hand jobs are very popular. What's wrong with a hand job? Uh, here's Joe, George in Austin for the Blowhard. Hey, why do they call him Blowhard? Does he use his teeth or something? What? Blowhard, I don't know. He's basically saying they call you Blowhard because you blow men hard. Oh, that's that, that's real original. Mm. And from Austin. Wow, he's cool. He's hip. Uh, he, well, that is kind of a hip place. It's a nice town, actually. Yeah. Matter of fact, if you look up in the Filtered Excellence, something really cool going on in Austin this weekend. Um, it is the Burning Love Marathon at the Alamo Draft House. And it gets even better. Cam Marino is there live. Uh, that's super cool. No, it's cool. Oh, that's hip. That's groovy. It is. And we're big fans of his. We've had that's him on the Unmasked, and well, it's a hysterical like show. Everything I hear, what, you know, I mean, you know, if everything's hip and groovy, hey, it's hip and groovy. Good for you guys. All right, thanks. Um, let's go over to Tim in Tulsa. You're on the Run of Face show. Quick uh, impression. We need more fucking and sucking on Big Brother. Uh, and how about the Olympics? Why don't them bitches get naked and run the hurdles? Yeah, why don't they? All right, Blowhard, now they're doing impressions about you. You got to say that the first Olympics with the Greeks were probably in the nude, so. Oh, jeez. Uh, oh, jeez, Blowhard. You, know, you thought they wore clothes in those first Olympics? Um, no, as a matter of fact, they did not. It's a very good uh, truth bomb. Here's John in Virginia. Hey, Blowhard, you better watch getting turned on in the shit here, and you'll have, have a heart attack. No, nah, I got the Viagra going on. I'm doing okay. And I got the Cialis. I'm all lined up. I'm ready for the Olympics. Uh, hello, John. You're on the Run of Fez show. I wish I could play my voicemail where I was offered to, first of all, good support to get into the league, and then the guy offers me a hand job if I draft badly. I don't know. Oh, my God. Big brother tactics. The only thing I'd want from you is probably maybe some uh, potato skins. That's That's probably it. I would never, ever take anything from you sexually, Johnny. You know that. No, you were going to give it to me. I wasn't going to offer it. It was going to be taken. If I drafted poorly, I believe you said if I draft like an earl, that I would get a hand job from you. No. Wow. It doesn't God, work that way. This is ruining the league. The league's turning gay. The league's no. gay. I'm all for that. What's wrong with a gay football league? It's gay. You know what? We might spin off a league. Let Fez, Blowhard, Johnny have their own league, gay league. No, no, no. Wait, wait, wait. I, I wasn't going to take him up on the offer. I'm just saying that's what he offered I me. I don't know. It sure sounded like you are interested, you big chubby chaser, you. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Um, let's go over here to Bruce in San Diego. Bruce. Yeah. Hey, Blowhard, what are you doing? You're dogging everybody. You're dogging True. Austin, Texas, of all places. Right. And all you're doing is sitting there in your apartment counting to make sure you have enough toes. Oh, what does that even mean? That, that, that's like irrational, that's stupid, and it's just a waste of your time that you took the time to dial this phone number to wait on hold and to make a total jackass of yourself. Are you proud of yourself? I liked it. Are I waited a whole 13 seconds. Oh, my God. I waited you really are a jackass. so I could <laughs> listen to you just sit here I didn't and think you had so I don't know where all this is coming from. You that much about me that you're going to call up and give some stupid line that nobody laughs at? Joe, you're on the Run of Fez show. Go jump in a lake. Yeah, I just wanted to tell Blowhard here, the first Greek Olympics was all dudes. There was no women. Oh, oh, no! There you go. 
You sit oh, there, I bet you're probably running a marathon while having Plato and Socrates. Oh! oh okay. Here's Jim What's in New York. Yeah, Jim. Is that, is that me, Ronnie B? Yeah. I uh, I don't think what Blowhard wants potato skins from John Hard Rock Johnny. He wants foreskin. Oh! oh! If that's his natural feeling, let him go with it. That's right, Fez. Back me up on that. Listen to these fucking two together, the Hollywood Blondes, Fez Watley and the Blowhard, BFF. I'm secure enough with my sexuality. I'm secure enough. All right. There's a spinoff leg. It's going to be Fez, Zito, Johnny, and Blowhard. And then we'll have the straight leg. Oh, good. I want him the straight leg, please. <laughs> I quit my other league so I can be in the straight league. Oh, man. Johnny, if you're in, it's only because you're replacing Blowhard. That's what we're going to vote on. Johnny or Blowhard, who's going to be the gay in our league? I love a league meeting. Uh, no, believe me. I'm not, you know, I'm what? not the guy who's uh, going crazy over there for show tunes over on Broadway like Johnny. No. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, damn, Hard Rock. Although you did tell us your favorite fucking band ever was Blondie. Well, that's a chick. Debbie Harry is a gorgeous lady. Now I owe, Green, now I owe him an apology. Early July. I had no idea. Unlike Johnny, who like looks at Lawrence Taylor and gets a heart on. Oh, oh shit! That's LT. true. Uh, here's Joker in Louisiana. Yeah, hey, blowhard! I wish you'd hurry up and come so this bit would end. Oh Jesus Christ! That's true. Louisiana, talk slower. Jesus, uh, everybody gets up. I mean, what's wrong with these callers today? What's I don't on? understand. Here's Jeff in Columbus. You're on the air. Hey, Blowhard is ordering from the Hard Rock. Yes, I'll have a uh, foot on with a side of lettuce wrap. Oh, oh shit. Line. Um, they can't leave Fezzi alone. They always got to pick up. Here's Nate in Maine. Hey, buddy. Hey, Blowhard, do you ever get sick of having to put Splenda in your fucking decaf? First Jesus. of all, if you think I drink decaf, I got a bridge to sell you. <laughs> And no, I don't Which one, Brooklyn? sweet and low, so how do you like that? All over a cock before you suck it to All right, jeez. Oh, Damn, son. You know what, Blowhard? You started it when you started this hand job, uh, blow job. Big, big brother prostitution yeah. ring. Well, I mean, I'm imitating Hicks for one day and I get all this. That's true, Imitate but this is the, what? Yeah, because huh? you're like a gay. Hicks I'm not straight as fuck, baby. Sucking, blow job, Jesus Christ, this, fuck that. I'm just imitating my favorite radio personality, Peppa Hicks. I don't need your imitation. Hey, we got a great piece up, uh, since you like. It's kind of an animation piece up on the iBang, where you could watch uh, an animation of, of who would win the races between all the Olympics. <laughs> so you go back to, like, 96, uh, 1896, go to the 100 meters, Hicks, and click that. Look, <laughs> that's how the race would actually run. That's awesome. We can sit and bet on these. Oh, shit. Same bolt. And you speak Blowhard on 3A. Oh, oh, shit. shit. What? People call up and all they do is just want to be That's so Johnny. and stupid. They don't have a valiant point. I mean, a, a, a salient point. They just call up and they want to just. Blow her. Johnny said that. Oh, I couldn't hear because the voice, because I think he's chewing on a, a cock and a fucking hamburger. Oh, yeah, Why not just hate Johnny and not hate the gays? I love the gays. But he's just saying, Johnny, you're so stupid, you're gay. That's his fucking joke. You love cheeseburgers and dicks. 
He hired Black Earl because of the jungle fever thing going on. He's on the DL. You just, you don't know the call game talking about jungle fever to begin with. Well, that's women. I know. It is Jimmy the Greek show. Mm-hmm. The women. Uh, Brian, you're um, with the Blowhard and Johnny, the Hollywood Blondes. Blowhard? Or like he once said, the fucking ass wholehard. Uh, I think this is a very interesting man. I don't think there's nothing wrong. Hold on, we got a spy report. Spy report. Spy report. Spy report. Beamer in Iowa, what's your spy report? Hey, I just got a text saying that the uh, Cleveland Browns are for sale. Wow. You know what that means? Shit. Moving to L.A. Moving to L.A. Be the second time the Cleveland lost the football team in like 10 years or whatever. God damn. Oh, they, can't buy, they can't get a break, those poor bastards. They can't get a break. They'll get to keep the uniforms and the record books. TB. I ain't driving train Richardson, that's for damn sure. Um, Johnny, what happened to all the morons? Oh, you want to keep getting fights? All right, let's go. Here's Bill. <laughs> go ahead, Bill. You're on with Blowhard. Hey, uh, Blowhard, I got a question for you. Uh, if you had to decide, what would you do? Would you jerk off the Joker killer, or would you drink a shot glass of Jerry Sandusky's cum? Mm, that's a good question. How much would I have to do it for? Oh, shit. Good one, Johnny. Using slurs. What the hell? What? Just with the slurs. That's Johnny. Fez, I'm with you on that one. Johnny's just having a little fun, Fez. Johnny should be ashamed of himself. I didn't say anything. I'm just listening now. I don't know. It sounds like you're... Jason in Detroit, you're on with the Hollywood triplets. (laughs) Go ahead, Jason. Oh, I'm sorry. Hey, Blowhard, what kind of sauce would you like on your half slices? Oh, oh shit. Man. You know, you guys go, oh, shit, for any line. At least do it for a good line. That guy was just totally inept. Saying you're eating half slices like guys, the guy. Don't, guys are right. dumb as it gets. Jesus. Be original. Have a little fucking creativity if you're going to call up and attack me. We're upset today, huh, Jenny? I'm fine. I'm just a little upset that I got offered hand jobs for bad crap. Well, let's just do this. If you had to vote today, this is not an official vote. Would it be Blowhard or Johnny and uh, Hicks? Give me Johnny. Huh? Yeah, Fezzy? Johnny. Oh, please. Fuck off. Pips? You're afraid to lose, Hicks, mister. You're oh, a I don't dick. I watch the games because I sleep all day Sunday. You're that is ball. true. You're a cunt. That is true. You're a you cunt. sleep you a lot. You offer fucking trades to fucking people all day long and no one takes them. And I watch Red Zone illegally, you prick. I was, I was fuck twice, off. Twice last year I blew the... Get into a pitch meeting for Big Brother Prostitution House, you fuck. <laughs> you can't even beat Dave. I beat fucking Dave. Fuck Everybody off. beat Dave. It's easy. On his roster. Yeah, everyone beats him. That's you're fucking making the point. I was undefeated. I was fourteen and one. Here's Jeff in Columbus. Hey, I think I found your, I found the origination of your name, Blowhard. Because you, oh, blow, what is it, Mister Columbus, minor league city? Because you blow it when it's hard and you suck it till it's soft. Ah, that's original, <laughs> Mister Minor League City. Suck it. Why don't, you go out, why don't you go out to your fucking TGIFs because you live in Columbus. Such a great place to be. There's not a whole lot of TGIFs, really, to be honest with you. Yeah, go Where jump in the lake. Okay, which one? Go go chase yourself. Go chase myself? 
How am I going to do that? Lord, you sound like you're chasing the teenagers out of your fucking yard. Yeah, really. Get off my lawn, damn it. Get off my lawn. Um, Let's go over to Jessica. Jessica, you're on the Run of Fez show. Hi, Ron. How are you? Yeah. Um, really quick, Ron. When you listen to the Stabbling Idiots, don't you just miss Eastside Dave that much more? No, because I actually get funny emails from Dave every day. Today he sent me... But we all miss him on the show. Eastside Dave... Well, he's, you can listen to him at night. He's going to be on Saturday with Yeah, Hicks. tomorrow night. He's not dead. Idiot on the phone, though, and he's just going... Riotcast.com, oh, Davey Max Sports. Yeah, yeah, no, Johnny should hang up. Hilarious, gay slurs, whatever. Well, if... Wait, don't act like fucking Dave didn't say a lot of gay slurs. <laughs> he would be. Oh, at, I know, but Dave. You hear some tomorrow night, 7 p.m. Yeah. on this channel. He would be yeah, shoulder to shoulder with Hicks right now. That'd be funny, too. Here's Mike in Norland, you're on a fest. Yeah, I was just thinking about that blowjob that I owe Blowhard. And uh, I was thinking if he gave me another one, I could owe him, too. Yeah, that was good. You have anything else? You dullard. I got a break here, guys. Ron, some yeah. of these guys are so dull. They should get out of their mama's basements, looking at porn, eating ravioli out of a can. Son, it's time to go out and get a job. Can't get a job, Mom. I'm too fucking stupid. All right. but I'm going to play another game of Call of Duty. I got to go to break. I really do. Uh, Johnny, the I... Olympic ceremonies, Ronnie B, and everybody else. Okay. All right, Johnny. I'm not going to give you a hand job. I know you want one. I'm not going to give you one, but I will sit down, eat some potato skins, and talk. All right, there he goes. I really hope Lahar doesn't win that shack ball. <laughs> Man, that guy's so angry. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. Really you know, flipped out. You had a nice message last night, and now I was surprised Fez didn't get on it. Fez kind of did a couple sniper lines, but I would have thought Fez would have went into fucking Hicks mode on that. Um, all right, uh, Johnny. Talk to you later, buddy. All right, boys. Have a good weekend. Coming for Johnny to be in the league. But hold on. Before I go to break, all of a sudden there's a woman in love with Fez. Go ahead, Brittany. Uh, I just want to tell Fez that I love you very much. Well, thank you, Brittany. I appreciate that. I guess I love you, too. Maybe she, this is the one that could turn you. Yeah. Oh, I can't be turned. This is the, but, but you haven't even been with a gay person yet. No, but I know what I want, and Brittany doesn't have that equipment. Unless you try it, Fez, give it a try. <laughs> I have a lot of gay friends, and I really look up to Fez. Oh, fat girl. All right, thanks, Brittany. Hag. Just the last part. Oh, that fucking got weird quick, huh? From fucking, hey, shouldn't Big Brother turn to fucking porn? Into fucking just madness. Uh, Ken Shane wants us to know that the Newport Folk Festival... Starts tonight. Starts tonight. Uh, the Olympic Fantasy League is up on the iBang. We're all excited about that. Oh, yeah, Shackball, baby. I love it. Everybody make sure that they play so that you can beat Blowhard and he doesn't get the Shackball. Yeah, come on. Come on. For that alone, that's uh, worth the prize. Go directly to the iBang for that. Also, we were coming up with maybe on that board, we're going to just start giving out some prizes to commenters. Hey, that'd be nice. Uh, we don't have it worked out completely, but we're going to turn this over to the Interabang editor to keep an eye on it, and I'll uh, be able to pull that up. And your last day to get in on the DL Ugly Unmasked Monday, uh, you can go to the iBang for that. 
Some of the other stuff on Filtered Excellence is Killer Joe, the movie that you love, Hicks. Love it, man. You got to see it. And then the movie that I thought was great, Fat Kid Rules the World. That's all up on the Interrobang, part of the Filtered Excellence. Great one this week. We'll be back uh, in just a little bit. Uh, let's get into some of the film stuff that we have up on the boxes today. And uh, this actually even came into us. From a listener that was kind of fun, which is theme songs that were sung by the lead actor in a sitcom. And I had never really given this any thought at all. I'm actually even curious of who would have ever done that first. That is some bizarre shit. Just go like, yeah, it's my show. I'll sing the song too. We'll be right back. Lots today. It's the Ron Fez Show. This is the Ron and Fez Show. Ron and Fez. show so much to talk about uh but again one of the box up here today is uh tv themes performed by lead actors i didn't realize how many of them there were um number one was california fever performed by jimmy mcnichol this is a show i never even heard of i don't know what this is this is weird Nothing about this show. Look, well, don't start putting the blame on me because the LA Rockets are about to crash. This had to be a cable deal. He's not even a good singer. This has got to be the worst California song ever written. Uh, move on to the next one. Linda Lavin belted this one out as part of Alice. This, of course, based on a really hardcore movie, and then they make a really bad, stupid sitcom out of it. No problem with this song, though. Terrible singer again, though. <laughs> Anytime they had Linda Lavin sing on the show, it was awkward because they would just kind of force it in. Where she was going to basically reclaim Broadway from Phoenix. Fun fact. Not all that familiar with the show. I know the Kiss My Grits lady came out of it. 
Oh. Uh, let's move over to three. Now, this is a great one because this is one that the song went to number one and the TV show got canceled. <laughs> uh, then the guy went on to be the Dr. Pepper guy. Uh, but this is when they tried to do Saturday Night Fever, the TV show, wow. and they called it Making It. This actually got used in a movie. If anybody knows the answer, raise your hand. I don't know this. Boogie Nights? No, nice try. Don't know. What's this uh, actor's name? Uh, David Naughton. He was also the American Werewolf in London. Oh, cool. Um, uh, 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. 866-RON-ZERO-FEZ. It is uh, a weird kind of list that we put together. This is lead actors who sang their own theme songs, and uh, you guys did not know the movie Making It because you're not, I guess, uh, big Bill Murray fans. Oh, I love Bill Murray. Um, let's move over to the next one. What do we got, Hicks? That's Give Me a Break, performed by Nell Carter. Well, of course, you're not going to be able to beat this. Every fucking den had steps in the 70s TV shows. Yet I've never been in someone's fucking thing and saw steps that just kind of lead out of the, the rec room. Uh, Jeff, you're on the Run of Fez show. Yeah, the movie you're looking for is Meatball. I can't believe neither one of my guys got it. Could not believe it. Move on to the next one, Hicks. What do we have? That's Bored to Death, performed by Jason Schwartzman. Now, I watched this show for three years before I found out Bored to Death was a Jason Schwartzman song. Let's take a listen. All the shadows in the city. What a great show they got rid of. Terrific cast, terrific writing. Uh, we'll jump over to salad and scrambled eggs because it's too hideous to listen to. And it also wasn't the first one on that show. And then we'll jump over the uh, the fall guy because that started all of this. <laughs> Uh, Green Acres, of course, everybody knows that one. But Walker, Texas Ranger, this one was um, somewhat of a surprise to me. Let's take a listen to the theme song. In the eyes of a ranger, 
The unsuspecting stranger had better know the truth of wrong from right. <laughs> Cause the eyes of the ranger are upon you. Any wrong you do, he's gonna see. When you're in Texas, look behind you. Cause that's where the ranger's gonna be. That's very sexy. It's a pretty good fucking uh, theme song. It's not exactly a sing-along. Um, and yet it was. It was a talk-along. People would just sit in front of their TVs and talk along with the Ranger. That's where the Ranger's going to be. Uh, James, in Virginia, you're on the Run of Face show. All right, I got the greatest one that no one said yet. Uh, in West Philadelphia, born and raised. On the playground is where I spent most of my days. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Giant hit. And now an entire... Generation sings it ironically in nightclubs. And this is another thing that I like when the theme song tells the entire story <laughs> leading up to that point. Apparently, Sherwin Swartz uh, started that. Catches you up. Yeah, it catches you up and like, all right, I'm a new guy, but I get it now. I got in one little fight and my mom got scared and said you're moving with your auntie and uncle in Bel Air. I whistled for a cab and when it came near, the license plate said crashing in a dice in the mirror. If anything, I can say that this cab was rare, but I thought, man, forget it. Yo, home to Bel Air. I pulled up to the house about seven or eight and I yelled to the cabbie, yo, home, smell you later. Looked at my kingdom, I was finally there to sit on my throne as the Prince of Bel Air. Why won't you make more music, Will Smith? Well, jiggy with it. I mean, he gave that to you. Why weren't you happy enough with it? Well, it took like a big time off from movies. He could have made. He some takes music. time off, and then he, you know that uh, he wrote that "I fucking swing my hair back and forth" song for his daughter. <laughs> you know he was behind that. I had to hear his voice. Uh, Patrick, you're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, another Sherwood Schwartz classic, the pop famous Brady Bunch kids. Now, I'm going to check this with Fez, who knows the Brady Bunch, but they didn't sing it the first season, correct? No, it was like the last season when they finally... Really? I think it was. I think it was the last season when they finally got to sing it themselves. Well, when they started touring? Right, as the Brady Six or the Brady Bunch Kids or whatever well, it was. I think, I think they were the Brady Bunch Kids on tour, where they they basically were on the Wonders Tour, where they went around and played a lot of state uh, fairs around the country. Uh, Fez, you'll be excited now, and we've got this up on the iBank. The big food this summer in the Iowa State Fair, bacon-wrapped corn dogs. Bacon-wrapped corn dogs. They call it the last thing your dad will ever eat. Um, let's go over to Paul. Paul in Jersey, you're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, Ronnie. Uh, in the heat of the night, wasn't Bubba the guy, the guy who played Bubba? Didn't he sing the theme song to that show? That I don't know. I'm not that familiar with the show Heat of the Night. I remember the movie, not the TV show. Uh, Chaz in Connecticut, you're on the Run of Fez show. Ron, Archie and Edith, their beautiful harmony on their theme song. How uh, can you miss that? That's up on the list. It already is on the list. Thanks, Chaz. I just always picture this as Blowhard and Edith singing. Tim in Illinois, you're on the Run of Fez show. 
Hey, for all the truckers out there, BJ and the Bear, Greg Evigan sang that song. He not only sang it, but he sang it well. I don't think Greg Evigan ever gets enough credit for his beautiful, silky singing voice. This is very little Broadway-ish, huh? Well, it doesn't sound like a trucker song. You sure like that monkey, though. You see that, Fez? Remember when you had your monkey story yesterday? They've always been around. Fez was upset because the monkey was getting a TV show. Always we had these weird animals on TV. Uh, let's go over here to Scott in Virginia. Hey, Roddy, your friends. Hey, buddy. It's up a great show. Um, besides, I would mention the guest old Chips Eric Estrada show. Uh, Chips, there wasn't even any. No, that was lyrics. an instrumental. Yeah, maybe he played it. Yeah. It, it, yeah, yeah, he didn't. Uh, Greg, you're on the Run of Fez show. How about uh, Shirley Jones and David Cassidy for the Partridge family? Um, Didn't they sing that? Well, the only person that ever sang on any of the records was David Cassidy. Uh, and he actually was used to leave the show and go over and have to go into the studio after while everyone else went home. Come on now and me, everybody, and hear us singing. There's nothing better than being together. Yeah, I don't think this one counts. You're not hearing uh, Danny Bonaducci and the little kids on it. But the lead singer is singing. The David Cassidy is He's the right lead there. in that show, and that is him. And everybody else is back up. Seventies were so weird for design and clothes. Um, Nate, you're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, guys. How about the second biggest badass, only the Chuck Norris, Dog the Bounty Hunter? Um, that one I, I couldn't tell you about. I've never watched the Dog the Bounty Hunter show to know what the theme is. I didn't know he sang it. Uh, Dave, you're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, uh, what about uh, Dukes of Hazard? I think that was Waylon Jennings, wasn't it? Yeah, Waylon Jennings as the balladeer. Uh, uh, wasn't uh, what's his name? No, it wasn't what's his name. It's uh, Jennings. Uh, Rick in Virginia has one. Go ahead, Rick. Hey, uh, Drew Carey's first theme song was Moon Over Parma, and he sang that one. Moon, moon Over what? Parma. Hmm. I don't know. It was like some uh, polka song from Cleveland or something. I don't even remember that. I thought they did the Cleveland Rocks song. Yeah. No, the first one was him singing Moon Over Parma. I guess it's a town near Cleveland. Wow, do you know this, Hicks? No, I... Were you able to find it? Yeah, I found it. Yeah, all right, let's take a listen. Moon over Parma, bring my love to me tonight. Guide her to Eastlake, underneath your silvery light. We met at Ashtabula, she was doing the hula. I handed her my radishes and pledged my love that night. 
moon over Parma. Won't you bring my? I had no idea. I never watched this song. I remember when they did the Cleveland Rocks thing. That's all I remember. Uh, Nadir, you're on Runa Fez. Hi, um, Fez. Actually, correction: the Brady Kids started singing the Brady Bunch theme from the second season on through the fifth season. And I would know because I'm a huge Brady Bunch fan. There you have it, Fez. Season two through five. Wow. Not season one. Now, I know it didn't start with them, but uh, eventually, eventually they all did it. Uh, let's move over to Chris in Buffalo. Chris, you're on the Fez show. Uh, yeah. What about the monkeys? Best song ever. Uh, well, yes, you are correct. In the list, it was the greatest song in the history of the world, um, and they were the singers. Because the lead singer did not get to sing a uh, lead on it. Let's go over here to Dan. Dan, you're on the Run of Fez show. Ronnie B., what about uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood that he sang live every single show as he walked in and s- switched himself into something a little more comfortable. Today we'd call this the Jerry Sandusky Hour, but back then we called it Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I don't know why little kids love this guy, but they really did. They felt very comforted by him. Uh, let's go over here to Travis. Travis, you're on the Run of Fez show. Huey Herman's Playhouse, man. How can you forget one of the greatest child molesters ever? Uh, well, first of all, he never was a child molester. He was a guy who masturbated in the fucking thing, but he never heard a kid in his life. And I don't think he did his theme song. Well, we'll listen.
Oh, you're right. He's not the guy doing the lead stuff. He's just dancing around and throwing in words. That's cheating. Um, Kevin, you're on the Run of Fest show. Hey, boys. Great topic. Freeze Company. Three's Company was not the lead singers, correct? No, nope. nope. it was not John really? Ritter or any of the other stars singing I that. I just thought it was. My bad. Have a good one. All right, uh, Tom, you're on the Run of Fest show. Uh, yeah, I think the guy that played Les Nesman sang the theme song for WKRP in Cincinnati. I would probably say no to that. What do you think, Fez? Absolutely not. Um, Matthew in Arkansas, you're on the Run of Fest uh, show. Yeah, I can't believe anyone hasn't got this yet. How about anything that Seth McFarland has done? Well, let's just go to Family Guy right off the bat. I know Seth sings. I've never really been a guy who watched his show, so... Um, it seems today is that Seth? Uh, yeah, uh, no, this is... Uh, he doesn't do her voice. That's the wife. But that is Seth. Yeah, I guess. There's a kid and a dog. Kevin Cry. Um Let's go over to uh Howard, Louisiana, you're on Fest. Hey buddy. Yeah. Hey, uh, what about Fraser? I think uh yeah, we brought that up. It started oh, yeah. off not being uh, Frazier. The first season was Joni Mitchell, and then Frazier himself started singing. Uh, Nick in Long Island. What's up, buddies? I believe that Greg Evigan, Double Hit, also sang theme song to My Two Dads. Now, the weird thing, uh, I don't know if that's true, because it was co-written by his co-star in that. <laughs> Mr. Riser? Uh, yeah, Paul Reiser was... Butkus. I think Dick Butkus was on no. the show, too. Uh, but let's take a listen to the My To Dad. This is me, Nicole Bradford. Cute, huh? This is my dad. And this is my dad. How'd I get to dad? They inherited me. Congratulations. It's a girl. There's the judge who brought us together. She lives in our building. My building. I own it. She's going to make sure we're one big happy family with one dad who's down to earth and one dad with his head in the cloud. I, I think we're father of the year. You can count on me. No matter what you do, you can count on me. No matter where you go, I'm standing by your side. I'll be right behind. No one loves you more than I do. Put your hand in mine. You can count. I don't know if that's him or not. Do you, Fez? I think it is him. Here's Blake. You're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, Ronnie. Big 80s show, Growing Pains. Alan Thicke is singing the theme. What? Now, Alan Thicke got into the business writing theme songs. Um, his kid's a singer now. He too. did Silver Spoons was one of his. Uh, what else did he do, Fez? I know he did Growing Pains. He did the Thick of the Night song that was his own uh, theme song. And yeah, Robin Thicke, his son, very, very successful. All right, uh, it looks like Different Strokes. Yeah. Facts of Life, Wizard of Odds, Joker's Wild. And a but oh, the original thing, The Wheel of Fortune, he did. Damn. Wow, that's fucking strong. 
and a bunch of other things. A celebrity sweepstakes, the Diamond Head game, blank check, stumpers. Oh, who forgets the Diamond Head game? That was <laughs> always a good one. Uh, Dan, you're on the Runafest show. Hey, uh, Golden Girls? No, that was not oh. the Golden Girls singing. It was Andrew Gold. Just because. Yeah, you should know. You called in. Don't call in with something wrong and then be like, I don't fucking know. These are theme songs sung by the star of the show. Not just theme songs. Thank you for being uh, Chris, you're on the Run Fez show. Yes, sir. Uh, David Alvaro. I do believe he sang the lead on, uh, on the theme song. Didn't he not? Uh, David Hasselhoff from Baywatch. I never was a Baywatch watcher, Fez, you? I didn't think Baywatch had uh, lyrics. I thought it was just a theme. You know what? Maybe it was their second song. Their, remember Baywatch Nights? Maybe oh. that's what he's talking about. Oh, when they were detectives. I guess it did have lyrics. Doesn't sound like them, though. No. We're going to break here uh, back in just a minute. Lots of stuff going on today, including uh, is it time that law knives? They want to do that. Check out the filtered excellence and your chance also up on the iBank to win a sign shack basketball. Just go to the Olympics box, a sign shack basketball. We'll be right back. It's the Ron Fez Show. Ron Bennington. Fez Watley. This is the Ron Fez Show. It's the Ron Fez Show. Uh, by the way, up on the field of excellence, Jerry Garcia's 70th birthday, movie screenings around the country, special concert being streamed online from Weir Studio. Uh, the weird thing about it is, in the back of my mind, I kind of thought Jerry was somewhat old when he died. But apparently he would have only been 70 today. That doesn't, it doesn't seem to make sense. If he would have died today, we would have said, hey, that's too young. That's the way we are about people in their seventies now. Yeah, he. I mean, at seventy, he could have still been touring and absolutely bouncing around. The rest of the guys in Dead are. Um, you're one hundred percent correct. <laughs> we had Graham Nash in here the other day. He's seventy and he looks fantastic. Hell yeah! But check that up on the Filtered Excellence. Um, Bob Weir is apparently doing something out of his studio too. That's that will cool. be streamed online. I'm sure Kathleen from the Bronx is going to be a big part of it. Uh, still a lot of stuff going on about the um, the Colorado shootings and some of the stuff that we've got up on the iBang. Harvey Weinstein thinks he'd like to call a summit together of filmmakers and say, is it time we take a look at ourselves? Uh, our buddy uh, Armin White has taken on just about all of Hollywood here. He's battling, particularly with some of the filmmakers. He's written a very, very long article up on City Arts. 
And we've got that up on the iBang. And we're, you know, we ought to do this, Hex. We ought to try to get a hold of him right. today. Um, and then there's a piece that's, uh, well, for us, it's kind of funny. I think that we needed a little joke in our life. But over in the country of Angolan, they want to reduce knife crime by banning the sale of long pointed kitchen knives. What? Uh, because some people in England are using these knives to stab each other. So they said, if we ban the long knives, we will get out of uh, any kind of problems. The, the problem is the knives. Okay, the long kitchen knives. Uh, I say this, though. Yeah. If you outlaw long chef knives. Yeah. Then only outlaws will have long chef knives. I say bravo to England. If they're if they're no, if they're dealing with stabbing crime and people getting hit with these long knives that are piercing their organs, yes, look at it. So maybe d- get rid of what? the long knives that are gonna go all the way through into a liver. Why do you think that they're using long knives? To try to kill somebody. Because they can't get guns. It goes back to the original thing. Normal people aren't taking long knives and stabbing each other any more than in this country. Uh, Normal people don't use box cutters to cut another person. They use box cutters to cut boxes. Uh, Long knives are for chefs, people in the kitchen. There is not a, uh, a kitchen in this country who doesn't have that same exact knife. They they have them there because that's the tool they need to correctly make the food they're fucking cooking. So also, you could take a baseball bat and cave somebody's head in with it. But you don't stop crime by getting rid of baseball fucking bats. This, they interviewed chefs and they said that short knives will do just the same amount of work. So in that case, then the short knives will be just as useful in a crime. Will they not? No, they won't. Yes, if if a knife, if a chef can use a fucking knife to cut the same way, so can a person stabbing another person. But this will reduce fatalities because the short knife won't go in as far. Unless they decide to keep on stabbing. You tell me a short knife in the throat won't fucking kill someone. No one's ever been. No one's ever gotten a a switchblade into their fucking liver. It doesn't even make sense, Fez. Shivs are fucking tiny. Shivs are tiny and people get killed with them all the time. Um, let's go over to uh, Robert. You're on the Run of Fez show. Yeah, hey, Ronnie. Uh, I just been in the Navy and what I was seeing in the Philippines, they take uh, leaf springs out of cars, grind them up, make them into machetes to cut through the bush. And I mean, these things... Talk about a giant weed whacker. Uh, you, you can a knife could be made out of anything. Uh, you can kill people with an ice pick. This is just this ridiculous. This uh, ridiculous. Here's uh, Larry. Larry on the Run of Fez show. Yeah, I just want to ask Fez if he'd be more happy if he had the government to tell him what to do every day. It doesn't matter if it's gun control or England going to take away sharp knives. What what he'd like him to do is cut his meat for him. If the government would just cut his meat and then feed him with a spoon, or even better, put it into a blender 
mush it up in the baby food. Oh, fuck that. Uh, what knife do you got there, Hicks? This is, I just fucking Googled prison shank, and this just came up. Now, you're not going to get stabbed with much, anything much more dangerous than that, Fez. Um, and they kill people in prisons all the time with that. And again, that isn't sold anywhere. You can make that. Um, let's go over here to Howard. You're on the Run of Fez show. You must have been the most protected person in the world. He's saying that you're the most protected person in the world, Fez, growing up by the way that you're talking. Now, you said that your father only showed rage in a car. Right? Yeah, yeah. But he did have a lot of rage build up. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. He must have because he would explode when he was driving. That to me, and what's the word that you call it? Road rage. See, I don't even believe in that term. I just call it rage. I do, I think that the rage happens be, that you're able to do it more because you're hiding inside a 2,000-pound fucking vehicle. You know, you've got a basically a 2,000-pound Iron Man suit on in it. Uh, but... That rage was always there. I think Fez has it as well, too. Fez can get very angry. And he also wants the world to be uh, somehow safer. And by getting rid of stuff, he'll be happier. Anthony, you're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, Ronnie. Andy from Boston. Hey, listen. Um, I got uh, growing up when we turned 21 in our town. We, uh, we know these two guys. So one guy goes bar, one kid that we know goes to the bar with uh, this girl, and the dude shows his no, jealous ex-boyfriend shows up, uh, my buddy, under the arm with a one-and-a-half-inch blade, it was one of those little things you get at Walmart, and uh, right. my, buddy died on, my buddy died on the scene, so it doesn't matter how big the fucking knife is, okay, you can kill someone with your fucking shoestring if you want to. It is absolutely correct. That you could kill somebody with your bare fucking hands. It doesn't matter. Normal people aren't going around taking knives and jabbing them into people. And we're around knives all the time. Yeah. I mean, the knife that, that they have shown in there is one of 12 knives that I have in my kitchen. <laughs> so I'm not sitting around, and I've never even once thought, hey, what a great weapon. We have one up in the office. Oh, yeah, when we start Knife Club. Yeah, Knife Club. Um, let's go. Oh, it's our buddy Scram Diggity Dog. What do you say, Scram? Hey, boys. Uh, yeah. So if we take kitchen knives and start calling them, like, weapons or deadly weapons, is like a cheese knife, a concealed version of a, like, a long rifle would be a kitchen knife, and then they'd have, like, a handgun for a cheese knife, or what would that be? A cheese knife isn't going to create as many fatalities if it's used as a weapon as how one of these know? long knives. How do, you, how do you know that? I know that I could kill as many people with a cheese knife as I could with a long knife. That is absolute. I have no doubt in my mind, but I've never went after somebody with a knife. Why would I? Doesn't make fucking sense to go around stabbing people. Um, let's go over to Jeff. Jeff, you're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, Ronnie. Uh, just want to point out to Fez that on 9-11, there was a lot of people killed by Muslims of the Muslim faith, should we outlaw Muslims all over the world, or can we let them stay, or what are, what are we going to do with them? No, you're talking about people. 
We're talking about really long knives that are deadly, and these doctors are saying this will make a difference in stabbings. So that's it. The fact that they think that no one else will get a long knife, so no one else in the kitchen can ever use a fucking knife. You can't sit around and use your knife anymore uh, when you're burning a, boning a fucking chicken. It's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. I'm telling you right now, I could kill more people with a fucking car than a long knife. But you don't do it. You don't go out and drive in the fucking people. Um, let's go over to Jim and Philly. You're on the Run of Fez show. Hey, how you doing? Yeah. Yeah, why don't you just ban everything? Let's get rid of widescreen TVs, weights, anything that could cause death. Let's get, let's get rid of right hooks, uppercuts, you know, overhand lefts. If there, was, if, there was a pro- if there was a problem with weights where people were getting killed by them, then something would be looked into. All right, well, just it's, look at it this way. The reason why they use long knives is because they don't have guns over there. Exactly. And your thing is always banning guns will make us safer. But now these doctors say it's just the opposite. There are still long knives, kitchen knives that can kill us. So it's never about the fucking tool is the problem. It's about the person using the tool. We got fucked up human beings is what we have. Not fucked up tools, fucked up human beings. Is it ever, and again, we're just doing this thing. Is there a surprise you you never change your mind here? Um, no, not really. Because why not? I mean, I would I would think that would be the entire reason to be in talk radio. Um, I, right now, it's I see I see this as a safety prevention. What didn't you understand about my question? Of why I don't ever change my mind? No. Why don't you change minds? Are you my question to you was? Are you surprised that you don't change minds? Are you surprised that after you've brought up your fact, you're not getting phone calls with people going, holy shit, I didn't think about that before. Yeah, that does surprise me. Because it's it's a prob it's obviously a problem. Why isn't it a problem in the States? Because we have guns here. So you would not ban long knives in the States. If there was like a rash of stuff. I'm just asking you. Would you ban them in the states? Yes, it makes sense to me. Even yes. though we don't, we don't have a rash of long knife standings. Yeah, but I mean, that still makes sense that a but, longer knife that's not really necessary in the would kitchen. You, why well, can't you? It is necessary in the fucking kitchen. You can't run a fucking kitchen. There's no kitchen in the fucking America that doesn't have a nice long, sharp fucking knife. I don't know whether you've ever been in a kitchen before, but they have knives that will take your fucking hand off in every kitchen in America. And we're not having a problem with people stabbing each other with the long knives. You would be banning something when it doesn't need... Your, your banning wouldn't even work here because people are going, what? Why would anybody do that? What do you, Hicks has a cleaver there, up. Uh, you could kill people with cleavers, right? Right, yeah. How come we don't? Because we would shoot people instead here. So, again, it's really not the problem of the fucking tool. It's the problem with the people. Um, let's go over here to Miles. You're on my face. 
got to say there, Fez, you know, if you want to outlaw, you know, like hives because you think they're a problem, you, you do realize that once you take a weapon away or something that can be perceived as a weapon, people are going to find another way. I could go to Home Depot and get a claw hammer and a fucking screwdriver and freaking do somebody in. It's all about the individual. You can't just ban everything. They might just say, okay, nobody can walk out of their house. That's it. No more. Everybody has to stay in their house. And people will still find a fucking way to kill one another. See, I, I think it's much more interesting of a thing of why do we why are we attracted to violence is a much more interesting thing than what are we killing each other with. What we're killing each other with is, is just happens to be whatever is fucking out there. But why, when we've advanced so far from when we used to slither around here like fucking mindless reptiles, why are we still attracted to violence? That would be the big question. That would be something for us to wrestle with. And that's the kind of stuff that whether you like them or not, Armin White is brought up, whether you like them or not, uh, what Harvey Weinstein has brought up. The fuck is wrong with us? Not what is wrong with the fucking tools. Or if somehow, I mean, here's an example of criminals, when they found out they can't use the handgun, turning a fucking safe kitchen knife into a murdering tool. Adapted. That's the fucking mind blower there. And if you take away that murdering tool, they're going to figure out how to tie a fucking 10-pound weight to a baseball bat. And you're like, now we need to ban those. And you're never dealing with the big problem. Why are we so fucking violent? Why could Fez sit around and use the word rage about his dad when we've never seen him enraged? But he would find times where he could just fucking blow up and get weird. Um, let's go over to Chuck. Chuck, you're on the Run Fest show. Hey, man. Yeah. Hey, I just wanted to say that when I was a kid, my parents taught me that knives cut four ways. Long, wide, deep, and continuously. So even if it's, even if it's a scalpel, the doctor can cut as deep as he wants to, as wide as he wants to, and as long as he wants to. I just see it like cars. Like if you had the Pinto on the road and it has a chance of exploding, you're removing that no. particular car. No, that's the exact opposite of a the thing. These knives aren't exploding on their own and going into people. If somehow we were using kitchen knives, but they would explode and the knife would go into the person, I would agree with you 100%. That Because that tool would be doing something it wasn't supposed to be doing. This is the tool being used exactly the way the user wants to use it. It's a totally different thing than what you said. The Pinto recall is because the tool wasn't working properly. This knife is doing what it's supposed to do. It's the user who's not doing what he's supposed to do. Um, let's go over to Casper. You're on the run of Fez show. Hey, guys. How you doing today? Yeah. Fezzy, every uh, male out there is equipped to be a rapist. Would you like to get rid of penises? See, that's where you reduce it to the ridiculous. No, I don't think he has at all. I don't think that that is... Uh, th the point is, every one of us has the ability to be a rapist. Then why do some people rape? That would be it. 
but you can't sit around and blame the penis on a rape, which is exactly what you're doing in this case. You're blaming the knife, i.e. the cock, instead of the murderer or the rapist. You're blaming something other than the fucking person doing it. Um, it's up on the iBang right now. It was put up there as a goof thing to just show how ridiculous it was. But we should have probably even surrounded that. Um, let's go over to uh, Jim. I will go to Jim in uh, New York. Your manifest. Hey, Fancy, do you have a uh, newspaper or magazine in front of you right now? No, not in front of me, no. Why? In prison, they can turn a newspaper or a magazine into a spear. So potentially every time you're carrying around a newspaper, you're in possession of a deadly weapon. Should they outlaw those? No, they shouldn't outlaw newspapers. Well, you can kill somebody with them. There's also not a huge rash of newspaper murders going on. So you're saying until people use it that way, then you would fucking ban it. That's what we're not... Making setouts of. You wouldn't ban these knives in Canada. You wouldn't ban them in the United States. But you would ban them in England. Only because that's what they're using it for. That's where the problem is. Just like we had bath salts and now they're getting banned because now bath salts have become a problem. Is there a new the bath, bath salts, salts have never been the fucking problem, dude. <laughs> the bath salts themselves are not the problem. That's the part that we're trying to fucking wake you up to. Those bath salts aren't a problem for me because I ain't going to fucking smoke them. It's what is in the head of a motherfucker who wants to smoke bath salts even after he looked on TV and saw the, you're biting assholes when you do it. Um, let's go over to Steve. Steve, you're on the Run Fest show. Hey, how you doing, Ronnie? Yeah. We're a lazy, lazy society just looking for the most efficient way of getting the job done. If it's a knife, if it's a gun, whatever we have available, most efficient way. Um, let's go over to Joe. Joe, you're on the Run Fest show. Uh, yeah, I just wanted to ask, um, how many how many mass stabbings have there been with knives? I mean, how many like people went into the theater and stabbed 12 people and killed them all with a knife? It's all about efficiency. I mean, you know, take away the automatic handguns. I'm not even saying... Well, we've had that. Here in the city, we've had guys run down the street with knives before until they were finally fucking clipped. Last year, there was a guy in the subway stabbing people. Yeah, so it does happen. It does happen. Now, what they figured out is that guy was fucking mentally deranged. He was batshit crazy. He's from Brooklyn. He was fucking totally nuts. Like everybody in Brooklyn, dude. Blowhard first. Everybody else. Pips. Fucking nuts and shit. Hipsters, whacked out. Uh, Hasidic Jews, blacks, Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, oh, and there is Asians, Russians, too. Poles, Asians. It's a melting pot of fucking nuts. It is. Well, you cross over here, money making Manhattan. Everybody's like business people On top doing of the shit. business. Just together. Um, Fez is going to fucking read stories where somebody gets hit with an axe and say, now we need to get rid of axes. What about firemen? How That's do you right. Doors? That's right, but what if there's a fucking baby on the other side of that door? What instead of hitting that door, he hits a baby? Well, I mean, you know, they have to still get the door open. That's just, you know, collateral damage. 
Uh, we're going to talk to Armin and White a little bit about... Uh, well, he's putting it down as a cultural clash. And Armin White has said uh, he thinks uh, that American movies are getting made more and more fucked up all the time. And he doesn't think that they benefit our society. They don't doesn't think that they're benefiting our culture. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing from today. He's written a terrific piece. Whether you like it or not, you can see that unlike a lot of people, he puts a great deal of thought into it. He's not just knee jerking or yelling something out crazy. He's actually putting a great deal of thought into it. Whether you agree or disagree. It's always a nice thing to know that the other person is jumping out there to say, mm, I've given this some thought. I'm, I'm putting some work into this. He's calling it a cultural turning point. So. If you remember, I said it was the geek culture's uh, Altima. Yeah, you put right there. As soon First as that happened. As soon as that should happen. I'm always trying to turn a phrase as quick as I possibly fucking can. Um, so it's up in uh, City Arts. You can read it in New York City, but you can also get it online. There's a link up on the Interbank. And what is it also, if people want to check this out? Armand White reflects on the Aurora shootings, and he's not holding back. Well, where do you find it, though? City Arts? City CityArts.info. CityArts.info. Uh, we do have uh, Armand White on the air. Armand, good to talk to you, buddy. Hey, you too, Maron. Um, I was waiting. I kept checking to see. You waited a couple of days before you put this article out, but I thought that you would have something to say about the shooting. Unlike quite a, uh, many uh, critics haven't taken the time to really look at this thing, but it isn't something that you wrote quickly. You took a couple of days to put your thoughts together, Armin? Well, sure. It, it took some thinking about, mm -hmm. uh, I guess, first of all, to you know, to respond to the event itself, and then try to try to make some sense of it in your head. And and certainly, I want to make some sense of it <laughs> in my head before I commit it to print. <laughs> uh, so it took it took a couple of days, and also I wanted to uh, I wanted to include some of the responses of my colleagues. And and when I read how some of my colleagues held forth on it. I, I felt that they were missing some really crucial points. Well, who were some of the colleagues that you thought had, had missed points? Well, I, I, I looked at some of the mainstream media mm -hmm. and, and what those writers had, had said, uh, starting, with, starting with, with, with Roger Ebert, mm -hmm. sorry to say, starting with him, but, but I guess he's a good place to start because he, he is sanctioned really by the mainstream media. Uh, began with his, my research into my colleague's response began with Ebert's op-ed piece in the New York Times. So it's not just Ebert holding forth uh, from Chicago on his usual perch. Uh, he's, got, he's got the national platform of the New York Times, and his response was not very helpful, I felt, because he, he took the position that uh, there might not be any connection between the shootings in Arizona and and film and Hollywood. And one point that I wanted to get people to consider was that uh, the fact that the shooter, uh, James Holmes, admits 
that he modeled himself after the Joker in the Batman movies says irrefutably that there is a connection and that we need to deal with that. Mm. Uh, we need to deal with, uh, in, in a larger sense, we need to deal with the impact that uh, popular culture has on the way people think and the way people behave. Well, as as far as violence in movies, and, and I gave it a lot of thought after this thing happened, too, and I can't remember a time in my life... I mean, I have no idea how many kind of murders that I watched take place since I was a kid, you know, obviously play-acting, but... Um, Really early on when I was a little kid watching cowboy movies on TV or gangster movies, the violence in film has always been a very big part of the American uh, film industry. But do you believe that it's changed a little bit, Armand, over the years? Oh, it's certainly changed, if, if, if only in the sense that it's gotten more graphic mm-hmm. as well as it's, it's become more frequent, more frequent in movies. Uh, there's more violence, I think, in movies now, movies and television now than there was when either of us were growing up. And the violence as shown in movies now is, is, is depicted quite graphically, gruesomely. Uh, it used to be, you know, it used to be when we were kids, we, I remember seeing, I think it was, was it Rio Grande? Uh, there was a movie where John Wayne was shot and the way his body fell, it looked like he was shot in the heart. And then the very next scene, he has his arm in a sling. Uh, it used to be the violence was depicted in, in kind of uh, symbolic ways or, or just suggested. Uh, over the past few years now, the violence is very graphic, very ex- explicit, very extreme. Uh, that's quite different from what we grew up watching. And I think the effect of that difference is that people get hardened to it. They become inured to it. Uh, they begin to expect uh, more and more explicit, gross, uh, ugly kinds of kinetic sensationalism. And I think this this has the effect of hardening people to the real the real effects of violence and blood and death. Um, and you're actually putting a lot of, I guess, filmmakers on notice. You think that some filmmakers are more responsible for this than others? I think they are. I mm. think, uh, especially in the case of filmmakers like <laughs> Chris Nolan. Uh, in my article, I, I include Chris Nolan in a list of filmmakers who I think make nihilistic movies, mm-hmm. uh, movies that are anti-life, movies that, movies that believe in nothingness, uh, movies that celebrate death. Uh, there are filmmakers who have created a culture of death, you might call it, and there's lots of them. And these filmmakers, have, they have critical critics who are followers, who promote movies that, who, that promote death. And this, this, is a, this, this affects our culture in ways that, after Colorado, we can no longer deny. Uh, my point is, if we deny it, uh, we deny it uh, at, at great risk, uh, because there, there's con- there are consequences to be paid for a culture of death. Were you surprised when you heard about this, or is this something that you felt like was coming when you heard about the, the shooting? Well, unfortunately, you know, we're living in an era where, where these mass shootings seem to happen uh, on occasion, mm-hmm. almost with some kind of regularity, it seems. So I wasn't totally surprised, and, and I, I, I wasn't surprised at all that it would happen at a Dark Knight movie, mm-hmm. because it, it is a kind of miasmic film. It's a, it's a film about death. It's a film that celebrates violence. Uh, and, and as some of the reports of the shooting say, that people thought that when, when uh, Holmes walked into the theater, they thought, they thought it was part of the show. Because 
that's what our entertainment has come down to. We, 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 and uh, the public has become accustomed to being abused in entertainment. The public has become accustomed to entertainment about violence, about threat. And so I think almost naturally something like this would occur, and it would, of course, occur at a Batman movie, which, which I think makes the problem unignorable uh and you oddly you had just done this show a couple days before and you pretty much were saying the same thing about christopher nolan and batman i mean you were calling it cynical you called it dark and i mean it's not like your your tune changed it's just that things uh in the papers i guess would change the way people would listen to you what did you think about when harvey weinstein said that he'd like to get together with a bunch of filmmakers and discuss some of these exact same things that you're talking about. That's funny. Mm. Uh, one, one of the arch nihilists uh, that I mentioned in my article is, is one of Harvey's, uh, one, one of his employees. That would be Quentin Tarantino, mm -hmm. who I think is, is, a, is a key figure in the coarsening of movie culture over the past 20 years because Quentin Tarantino's films are based on the idea that violence, brutality, and death are funny. So if Harvey Weinstein wants to have that conversation, he, he should start in his own stable. Well, he actually did mention, he mentioned Scorsese and Tarantino, but um, there is going to be a large body count, I'm sure, in the next Tarantino film. Oh well, there always is, and mm. I'm, I'm saying that Harvey needs to, you know, you know, begin at home and and start having that conversation at home first, in that sense. And uh, God, I'm, I'm not, I might be mistaken here, but I think Hostel was released by one of the Miramax offshoots, like Dimension. I could he, be mistaken about that. But cer certainly, uh, certainly, Eli Roth, who made the Hostel movies, is, is a Tarantino pal, pal, and Eli Roth appears in Inglorious Bastards. So it's all connected, and if Harvey wants to have that conversation, good. Start at home and start now. Uh, this is all up on City Arts, Armin White. And as we said, Armin was actually talking about this before um, the, the tragedy took place. So uh, unlike a lot of other people that I think have come in after the fact, um, Armin had been pointing this out for some time. Who was, I'm trying to think, uh, another filmmaker for, um, said that this could have been, and it's slipping my mind right now. Oh, Peter Bogdanovich. Uh, did you, right. yeah, did you see what he had to say? Yeah, I read that in The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, Bogdanovich has some really, really good things to say. Uh, and, you know, Bogdanovich is coming from a different place from, from, uh, Christopher Nolan and Tarantino. Uh, he's older, of course, mm -hmm. but he also comes from a, a an era of, of popular culture, where, where automatic automatically a filmmaker would make movies that uh, uh, that supported life, <laughs> that were life affirming, that explored the human experience, rather than movies that that simply exploited violence. And Bogdanovich said, said some wonderful things about about how violence used to be portrayed in old movies and how that has changed. And he and he very bravely, I think, came out against comic book movies as, as juvenile mm. and also as, as today's preferred way for Hollywood to make easy money off of its uh, young audience. Uh, do you, I, was so glad, I was so glad Bogdanovich said those things. Yeah, because uh, it is a very young audience. I mean, even the age of some of the 
the actual kids that got killed at this Batman thing. It, it, there's no doubt that it's a it's a young audience. But um, Armand, do you see any changes in the future? Or do you think we're just going to fall back into where we were? Well, uh, I don't I don't want to get all political on you, Ron, mm-hmm. but I, I I don't think things are going to change very quickly. Partly because. Uh, People have not responded to the events in California as a as a cultural tragedy or as a cultural turning point. Uh, it's, it's been tricked up into another useless and divisive political argument. Right. An argument about gun control, not an argument about what's gone wrong in our arts. Yeah. Uh, you know, the gun control issue, that's a whole other argument there, But I, and, I, and I think it distracts from the problem in popular culture, from the problem in Hollywood. Nobody, it seems nobody really wants to deal with that. And, you know, as much as you, you could say whatever you want about the filmmakers, the artists, the market is there for these films more than anything else. There's a gigantic market of this geek culture that does love these type of movies and is helping to push these kind of movies even further along. Don't you agree, Armin? Sure, sure. No. You know, there, there's a... Uh, there's a, there's a saying in journalism that I don't like, where where often publishers or editors will say, uh, "My readers want this, my readers want that," and I I never bought that line, and I I, I wouldn't I don't buy it from film producers either because as a journalist, I believe that audiences will will want whatever you give them, and they'll want good stuff if you give them good stuff if you give them well researched, well written, well thought out articles. And they'll they'll accept crap if you give them crap. Right. Uh, so you know the idea that we do we certainly do have an audience that that's been that's, that's been trained uh, to like violent movies, uh, but that's only because that's that's what Hollywood thinks they can sell most easily. If Hollywood decided to make better films, to make more conscientious films, to make more humane films, uh, they could develop an audience for that too. But instead, Hollywood develops an audience for violent trash. Uh, in, in, in my article, I, I tried to I took a I tried to make a little a little detour at one point in the article and talk about the, the French film we mentioned last week on your show, right. uh, Andre Tichine's uh, Unforgivable, and I, I wanted to I wanted to make a point with that because uh, just just to say that good humane movies are being made, people need to pay more attention to them. Critics need to pay more attention to them as well. Instead, we're not. We're now in a, in a culture where critics only pay attention to movies with uh, hundred hundred million dollar ad campaigns, and they don't. They not only promote those movies the most; uh, they bow down to those movies and don't ever want to criticize them. Uh, I th- I will agree with there that that they're almost a bagman for the big yeah. studios, and particularly when they're reporting on numbers and opening weekends and being excited about that and acting like that matters when they've stopped looking at, at film as if it was art. Absolutely. No. Just, you know, just, just on, a, on a plain level, I don't, I don't care how much money any movie makes since I'm not getting any of it. Right. But I do care about the ideas. I do care about how, how movies uh, affect, affect my consciousness, uh, how they affect my well-being as a person, as a citizen. Uh, Armin White, uh, fine writer and the editor at City City Arts, uh, New York's Review of Culture. You can check that out online as well. It's cityarts.info. Thank you so much, Armin. I'll talk to you soon, buddy.
All right, you too, man. All right, Thanks take care. Um, you know, he's that type of guy that's going to get people fired up in one way or another. But I will say he's pretty consistent <laughs> in the fact that, I mean, I was amazed the following day of going back over my head what he had talked about when, when Batman, when even all of us were like, Batman, what's it going to do? Gonna How crush. much money? We had already had the bets on it. <laughs> uh, and that's why I wanted to get, and I kept waiting for him to, I knew that he would be putting some thought into it and writing a pretty long article here. Uh, and again, like him or don't like him, it's an interesting uh, piece. Here's uh, Ryan, you're on the Run of Fed show. Hey guys, I was kind of hoping to talk to Armand, but um, I'll make my point anyway. First, it's hard for me to respect the contrarian's point of view just because I know that's his gig is to try to angry up. I, you know what? I remember being into that, but I don't think that he's because uh, I felt the same way. But I don't think he's a contrarian for. Well, first of all, he doesn't say he's contrarian at all. But I would say if he is, it's subconsciously not to go along with the pack. And the pack right now is, if you look back at comic book culture, geek culture, it used to be a small fringe, whether you thought of it as cool or not cool, that'd be up to you. Now it's the mainstream. Now it's absolutely the mainstream in the same way that American Idol is the mainstream. You can't get out of it. And did American Idol change music? A hundred fucking percent. A hundred percent. Uh, let's go over to um, Derek. You're on the Run of Fez show. Derek, Hello? once, twice, guy, buddy. Hey, hey, Ron. Yeah. Hey, this this guy here is uh, basically saying the same thing Fez was. I mean, uh, it's not the violence in the movie that's that's uh, causing these people to go crazy. In my personal opinion, the hormones and things like that that they're putting in our food is causing chemical imbalances in us, and uh, apparently some people just can't control themselves anymore. Well, first of all, uh, I don't think... Well, I won't speak for Armin, but I would never stop people from making any movie they wanted to make. I think it has to do much more with us the and what we're attracted to than it does what anyone fucking makes. I mean, you have got to have heard from a ton of people that uh, fucking Wes Anderson made a terrific little movie this year and it made $40 million. That's actually a good business to be in if you're making $40 million, but it sure as hell isn't the same fucking business that the Christopher Nolans and the Avengers and all those guys Yeah, $40 made. million is like half their fucking uh, promotions budget. And that has to do to, with, to me... More with the audience than it does the people making the movies. I think, and I try to point that out to Fez and his thing of you have to look within. Um, one of the things I actually thought of this last night with Fez when I was watching Louie is when she was saying, You're afraid because you really think that you could do it. You know? And I think that's one of the things that scares Fez. I think that inside him, he doesn't completely trust Fez. Well, we went gone from uh, Armin White, who is a very responsible, well-thought uh, movie critic, to now we're going to go to one who puts no thought into it 
and who knee-jerks completely our own Paulo. Uh, From the legendary Wannafest Studios in a predominantly white neighborhood, Wannafest presents Showtime with the Paulo. Well, just to hear your exact opposite on here must have been shocking to you. Somebody who'd put a lot of thought into this. Please. I mean, in all honesty, I do realize that Armand White is a contrarian, as you say, so he's uh, used to making outrageous remarks. And I don't think these remarks were particularly outrageous, but I do say that I'm somewhat incensed by them. And this is a complicated issue. You can't just jump in, but I'm going to try and simplify the issue as much as possible. But what he's basically calling for is censorship. And so I think that that... No, no, no. I don't think so at all. I think he's saying that the critics should respond to the stuff that they see, and so should the audience. No, I think the audience is the issue. It has nothing to do with the artist. The artist will respond to the audience, absolutely. And I don't think we... Spy report. Spy report. Hold on for one second, Paulo. I have to interrupt you. Uh, Chris Stanley's coming in with a spy report. Spy report. This is going down right now. Authorities have arrested a Maryland man... They say he referred to himself as a joker and threatened to carry out a mass shooting at his workplace. <sighs> All right, so in, Please tell me his first name wasn't Ted. What we're talking about is, is the essential human condition, which is of violence. And this has been going on forever. You love I mean, violence. You, you call your calm body count. Why is that, Polo? No. I, I, I just saw, the, you know, we've, we just had the Shakespearean film Coriolanus. With, with Ray Fiennes. And I mean, this film is about as violent a film as you probably are going to see this year. And this is based very, very closely to the Shakespeare text. Okay, can I, can I just jump in for one second? Mm-hmm. I think the difference there, it's not so much the violence, but the repercussions of that violence, which make a lot more sense in Shakespearean times. And I love Corleone's. And by the way, I've loved Tarantino movies forever. Right. Um... So it's not like I'm sitting above this. No, I'm just saying, I just listened to him. He was just saying, oh, I'm glad Weinstein is basically going to basically put the clamps down on people. No, he didn't. He said if Weinstein was going to do this, he needs to start in his own backyard. And I'm going to defend Harvey here for a second and and say that's what the article is about. Harvey was saying, I'm going to sit down with my guys and discuss it. And I don't think that that's a bad idea for anyone to do. Okay. But I think people should back. do that all the time. Let's look back at history. Now, the, the production code in the 30s was put into place because of the violence in the gangster films of the 30s, primarily. And, I mean, it, are we supposed to really put, uh, you know, muzzles on the artist? Now, granted, there's a lot of garbage, complete garbage that's made. But to throw I, Nolan into that. I don't think we want the government doing this. I don't think that we want the Hollywood system to do this. I think it should be up to the audience. Because that thing that you're talking about had a lot more to do with sex than it did violence. Believe me, the violence was as big a part of it as the Then how come you could still see a lot of violent movies in the 50s and you wouldn't see a tit? You wouldn't hear the word fuck? Because there was a whole code and they worked out a system about, you know, that the, that the violence had to... I think, it, I think it's got a lot more to do with sex. And when people are worrying about cracking down, 
they don't realize that the filmmakers would like to make their films much more sexual than they do, but those are stopped. Okay, but to get back to the, the original point, it's, it truly is the responsibility of each and every person out there. And this, the problem is, is that the culture needs to somehow somehow, which I think is really pretty much impossible at this point, to get each and every person out there to take responsibility for the, for the violence in themselves. I mean, you know, I think the thing that each and every person should say to themselves, and I, I don't think anybody, I don't think very many people could, because I think the, the, the self-preservation instinct is so strong, is to say, I would rather die myself than, than harm another person or kill another person. I don't think that that instinct is in very many people, and that's why they root for these kind of films. Mm, well, I, 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 I got your one point. I didn't see the leap that you, uh, that well, you jumped around is, to. The leap is simple. Is, uh, is that We have these films because people want them. People need them. They have a, a deep, dirty desire. I, for I mean, let me just say this also. Right. Um, fuck Scooby-Doo, fuck Narcizito, fuck Direman, and fuck Scooby-Doo again for attacking Pepper as like he was an ass kick kisser. What happened? Uh, nothing. Just what people write on the thing. They just say that you try to fucking agree with everything that I say. That's crazy talk. <sighs> I agree with you this time. <laughs> um, let's go over to Jay. And Shaolin. Jay, you're on the Run Fest show. What's going on, Ron? Listen, what about Armand White talking about everybody copying the movies and doing all this and, and violence coming from movies? What about, uh, like, life imitating art? What about art imitating life? What about the fact that, you know, the, the first two Batmans that take a place in Chicago that have the history of crime, right? Or, or you know, they use Chicago as a backdrop. What about the fact that they use New York as a backdrop with all the crime that they had in the 70s and 80s, how it ran rampant there? And then he's talking about that people are doing all this based on movies. That's, that's bullshit, I think. I, I, I think it's worth discussing. I, I certainly don't come anywhere close to agreeing with everything that uh, Armand said, and I thought he was a little tough on Harvey because the people who... Uh, I think Harvey's a thoughtful guy. And I, did, by the way, he didn't need to say a word when he talked about it, you know? Um, Harvey didn't have to say uh, a single fucking thing about any of it. And now, then he brought back it up. To, getting back to Bogdanovich and his article on Eterobank, yeah. I, I, the thing is is that he he has regrets because he made probably one of the very first films about a, a real mass murderer, which grew out of probably the, not though it wasn't in any way the same story, out of the Charles Whitman sniper story in, 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 in Austin in 1966. He made a film in 1968. And, and, and that's... That's the closest, if anything, parallel to what happened in Colorado. I mean, he shot six, to, I think it was uh, 14 people and 32 wounded from the tower uh, at the University in, of Texas. Uh, I mean, this was a major event. And it's, it's you know, are we going to blame the movies for that? No, of course no I, I, I think there's something different between blaming the movies, right, mm -hmm. and wondering if what we are doing as an artist as an audience, is the correct thing. Just at the same time, as if you go out and you, you eat deep-fried fucking shit 
It does taste good. Oh, yeah. And you're going to leave there going, that fucking tasted good. But is it fucking healthy for you? It doesn't do you any wrong to say, hey, should I eat this? That doesn't mean to do what the mayor of New York tries to do and go around and stop people from fucking putting it out there. But the audience has to take some kind of responsibility if they want to be part of this or not. And that's what I was trying to say to Fez earlier. He wants to blame the knife. And I want to fucking discuss how do people get to the point where they start sticking knives in each other? That's the right. fucking point of this. Well, I and mean, I think you, you know, and I at least agree on that, Polo. Well, I, there's no question in my mind that there's way too much garbage being produced with no thought, no sense of consequence, no even concern about intelligence. So why paint Christopher Nolan and Quentin Tarantino in that in that same in that same brushstroke? Well, because like here's an interesting thing: Has anyone ever made a film? of what happens to all the background people who got ran off the fucking road during a car chase, because their lives will probably fucking change, both physically, mentally, spiritually. The the little Asian guy who runs the fruit stand that fucking Bruce Willis blames in might go, I don't know if I can go out there and work anymore. I don't know if I can take care of my family. Then he's crying, and his fucking kids see him crying for the first time. And they're like, oh, geez, maybe there's no stability here. And I felt, no one ever makes that fucking thing. Thanks, when, Bruce Willis. When you have someone in your life that has been through a trauma, and it could be... An attack, it could be a car accident, it could be a rape, a million things. It it changes everybody's life in that family. Everybody has changed. But if you watch these films, you would believe it's nothing. That fucking, that, you know, Die Hard never sits around at night going, what did I do, man? What did I fucking do? Right. Now, Peter Bogdanovich makes targets, which a bunch of people are killed. And then, of course, his girlfriend, uh, you know, Dorothy Stratton, uh, Hugh Hefner's girlfriend, they were, you know, but she's brutally murdered. I mean, a horrible trauma that basically destroyed Bogdanovich's life in many ways. I mean, so he firsthand experienced the trauma. I mean, so I understand his misgivings now. And, of course, he understands the history of Hollywood and how much kinder kinder and gentler that films were. So you think that people should at least read the Bogdanovich article? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but I think he... he do you think really, that they should read the Armin White article? I do, but... Are course, you surprised that you haven't taken the time to write an article? I am surprised. But the, the fact is simple. Is I, I, I think expressing the, the need for each and every person, and unfortunately in this world... Uh, we have this, I mean, I don't know about human beings. I really, you know, I being a, a person who believes in God, and I know a lot of people don't, I mean, just think of God being up there, and what is his relationship? He obviously has nothing to do with us personally, and he just looks at this pathetic excuse for a species, which is the human being. I mean, it truly has all this intelligence, and it's, strangely enough, some of the biggest mass murderers are highly intelligent people, and yet, why don't they have the intelligence to not realize that this is an insane act? Well, let's, let's you know, before you're acting like muskrats are better than us, I'm going to fucking disagree <laughs> with you, though, Polo. Polo, I well, don't know whether you know this, that <laughs> Fez has given up his Batman uh, mm-hmm. collection that he's had all these years. As long as you've known him, you know that he's been Bat Boy. But mm-hmm. Fez also, the weird thing about him is, 
you liked even the gangsters better, you're wearing a question mark on I your arm like the Riddler. Love you, the villains. You identified with the villains. Yes, the villains were the best part of Batman. The psychotic villains. So now that you see one, that's what's turned you off. Yeah. Now, yeah, now it's all too... The fun is gone. This isn't pretending anymore. This is a guy dyeing his hair, trying to look like the Joker, and believing he is the Joker. Trying to emulate this. The fun is gone, Paulo. Fez well, hasn't changed his tune all week, Paulo. He's exactly where he was. Are villains. And the reason they are villains is in most instances because at some point they were on the losing end of the stick. And as such, they come back harder and meaner and, and stronger to, to fight their adversaries. I mean, we can get into long discussions about the nature of evil and where it comes Before from. we do that, Paul, I just want to remind everybody that the 3 o'clock snack is up. Oh, and it's shit. based on the opening uh, ceremonies. And we have... Uh, we're promoting today the women from uh, England, and there are some real, real beauties. There are some strong, strong beauties in this. I don't know where I'm even going to vote today. Oh, there's Posh Spice. I'm going to ask right now if I could vote more than once. Um, let's uh, I mean, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying, I, a lot of villains, you know, started from these, you know, fairly innocent beginnings. It's hard to imagine um, someone, a little baby, being a villain. But I mean, there are some that were. I've seen I some mean, kids born bad. I don't give a shit what anybody said. I've seen some bad fucking toddlers in my life. Yes, exactly. Uh, here's and John. He wants to ask you a question, Paulo. Yes. Hey, Paulo, uh, why should we take any of your opinions? I mean, hell, you think that horseshit thing of a movie was good that you made? Well, now, you know, I bet you never... Gap was a very violent movie. Oh, yeah. If you watch that movie and you really listen... I couldn't hear, but I saw it at the hard rock. Gap. The fact is, is that that's what this movie is basically commenting on. Somebody believes that the only way to stop killing is to kill, which is an absurd premise, but that's almost as absurd as almost everything that's happened in the history of mankind. Mankind is always justifying violence for a reason. And that's what happens in the Batman movie. Would you they like have... Would you like Armand White to uh, see your would film you have... and critique yes, it? Yes, I, I would love it. He'd, I, he'd probably love it, knowing I've it. asked him, and he wiped his ass with it. He oh, had nothing to do with it. I understand. But uh, frankly, you know, it's, it's a movie that uh, admittedly made it on a ridiculously low budget and under difficult circumstances. I think... You had a $2 million budget for that. <laughs> But the fact is, is I, I have a number of projects I'm working on, and, and hopefully, uh, the you know, we've learned from some of the technical mistakes. But, I mean, the issues are simple. Isn't it ironic since you and, and Louis C.K. had that falling out, your careers went one way and his career went straight to the top? You know, clearly, uh, you know, it's, it's gotten a lot of hits on YouTube, his, his uh, roast of my right. film. Or they like to say it destroyed. It's too bad you didn't have him in the movie, or maybe your movie would yeah, be doing very well. Wants me to do that. I mean, by all means, if 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 he would be willing to do it, I have no objection. To I'm it. pretty sure I, he would. Yeah, well, that's great. Then I'll go with that. I mean, the simple fact is that the, if you know, if anybody actually gave a fair hearing to the movie Gap, they would realize that it has actually had something to say. But that's neither here nor there. I mean, it's there. Is, is that, it, it, um, violent movies are there. Let's go over to Don, California. You're on the Run of Fest show. 
Hey, Ron, you know, people need to start taking responsibility for their actions. You know, that the fact that everybody wants to keep banning something when something terrible happens. You know, people innately will... I want to get something straight so people can understand something. Armin White is not calling for a ban or to stop anything. He's merely pointing out this is where the culture is. He believes that the audience has been trained to accept this. And somewhere in the back of his mind, he thinks that the audience can be trained to like good movies. I I, fucking believe that in the 90s. And I'm like, if people can get to see these films, they're going to love them. And then you guys do, and you don't give a shit. You go back to watching fucking ridiculous films. Remember Clockwork Orange? Clockwork Orange was all about this kind of thinking. You've got, you know, Alex, the super violent guy, and what are they going to do? They're going to try and reprogram him. What what happened, though, when that film was released? Murders (laughs) took place, Mm -hmm. and then the filmmaker fucking pulled it from England and said, these people can't handle this movie. They're they too can't fucking whack. The concept, they, exactly. They didn't get the message. They responded to the violence because that is their nature. They cannot be reprogrammed. And if God knows what would happen. Uh, let's go over here to Abraham. You're on the Manifest show. Yeah, I don't believe it's the movies that are doing that. I mean, haven't you thought about it? If you got like a massive movie like Batman, and if 70 million people watch it. 70 million people don't automatically go on a killing spree. Have we ever given thought to the fact that maybe it's right. a small percentage of people that were already, like, demented and messed up in the head to begin with? And the yes, that, like, uh, all that different? stuff makes fucking sense. We're not, we're not saying that Christopher Nolan caused this fucking murder. We're saying no, there's saying something that. wrong with us that we want to watch these fucking murder films over and over, and I'm one of them. I fucking all my favorite movies are probably gangster films. Okay. I don't know why you can't hold a complex fucking thought in your head or you need a an answer to come to you immediately before you can satisfy yourself. It's either yes, that's right, or hey, fuck you, is the way most people see things. Go ahead, Paul. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 frankly, I don't, I don't think anybody would want to spend a week with me watching the kind of movies I watch because I will watch girly. You know, flick. I mean, I mean, jerking let's off. Say, you just fucking fingering your women, ass. I'm just saying. I watch movies that are as gentle and as wonderful as as and and as life affirming as you can do. And I don't. But I do not. I have the ability to watch something. All right. Here's what I want to do, Polo. Mm-hmm. I want you to make a list, and I'll put it up on the iBang next mm-hmm. week. Ten life affirming movies. Can you do that? Absolutely. And then we will discuss them on the show. Let's just use one movie that's a good example, because it was ridiculed. It was ridiculed because it was life-affirming, and that was Pay Pay It Forward. Now, Pay It Forward is a movie that has a very solid message. But, you know, people, sometimes they, they, they... they ridicule it because they think it's it's almost uh, you know beneath them to be that way to be a person. So pay it forward's going to be on your or all your movies going to be Jay Moore films. <laughs> no, not is all. Is Go of them. going to be on them? Strangely, Jay Moore has <laughs> two hundred cigarettes there. He does do a lot of films that have that kind of message. Strangely, you know, he did that movie with Clint Eastwood, another life-affirming uh, story, you know, uh, where, you know, with the afterlife and hereafter. I mean, that's another life Do you ever, uh, now, did you ever watch that game show movie 
uh, or about the people getting busted for fucking the game show stuff. Um, because they, they rigged the game shows back in the 50s. Quiz show? Oh, yeah, quiz show. Yeah, quiz show. show. Polo sounds like the guy when he goes, you know, you know what happened back there, you know? <laughs> Believe me when I tell you, he's behind the whole thing, you know. You sound okay. just like that guy. I love when I you get really upper Manhattan, New York, Polo. I, I wish you would never lose it. This used to, I know, it was like a big thing uh, a few years ago when uh, this would be, everybody would make a Polo imitation. It would always be that kind of, you know, sing-songy <laughs> Manhattan Jewish. You know... You well, know, I'm not Jewish, but I... I know, but you know what? We wanted to put a game show together. We were going to say Jewish or gay. Because you can't always tell the difference. And Polo has one of those things where perhaps you think he's being gay, but he's just from up in Manhattan. You know? Dykeman Street. I lived at 99 Hillside Avenue. That's where Manhattan starts to get very small. Was 99% Jewish. And I was the Catholic boy in the building. And so, and this is a 20 story building. So I would make out with the other Jews, and we would sit, and we would talk, and we would feel a clamp, and then we would circle Jack. My girlfriend was a Rosenbaum. Yeah. She was was amazing. Um, (laughs) All right, so, Paulo. Yes, sir. You are going to write up. I guess you're not going to write an article on this like all the other responses. I'd be happy to. I mean, when is this due by? Uh, next Wednesday. I want you to write ten movies up. Okay. And give me a little write-up for them. I'm going to have Chris I'll, I'll contact you, you know? And, okay. and say something about it. Okay, let me just say this, you know. At when up on Dykeman Street, it's a twenty-story. Is that his building? This is the building, right? All right, we've got Polo's building, and this thing could only be called like some kind of government fucking, <laughs> fucking house, Paula. What did you guys pay? Even it was actually a city co-op, and it was a very it's a nice. Co- it's co-op city, yeah. It's a city co-op, which is different than a private co-op because you know it's relatively. Uh, it's it projects. Yeah, no, it's not a project, because the project with Will Chamberlain, not Will, uh, Lou Alcinda, was right down the block. That was, those were the projects. I did, you know, did you know him when he was young? Um, I was tall as well, 6'4", but uh, I guess he didn't notice me. The but you is, saw him playing ball when he was a kid? I didn't. I wasn't into sports back then. I went to Catholic school anyhow. I didn't mix in his circles. But I did go through the projects on a regular basis. Sure. And you used to say, look... I want all you colored boys to know that I'm on my way to the movies, and if anyone wants to come and sit a, next to me, I've I got had, a jungle fever. You see, being a tall person and a large and a strong, big, strong guy, I've always had an anti-aggressive uh, kind of attitude towards street violence. In other words, I would constantly get, uh, you know, have to get into fights. And basic, and I also like pain, so I can take some punishment. So there would, you know, I would sort of like, okay, okay, let it, you know. I saw fucking Polo. There, there was some listener that was waiting for him outside down when we did the show in Florida, and I saw him do the New York crazy, where Polo and people down there and say, but you know, like someone's gonna fuck with you, so you just go right rampaging around and yeah, and then they think you're a lunatic, and maybe there's a good chance they'll leave you low. Apollo did that in Florida where people don't, and it was so funny to see because there was like, all right, just take it easy. And he was just frothing at the mouth and kicking the walls. Hey, I just want to point out a couple things. Your chance to 
uh, gamble with us and sign up for the Olympic Challenge, go over to the iBank. Also, the last chance to uh, be part of the DL Ugly uh, audience on Monday. And from my understand, special prizes are giving out to the audience. That's right. They're, the prizes came in last night. So special prizes if you want to come into the city, you know. And then also, we're very happy to say good luck to Molly's Iowa City. Brand new Molly's. I don't think they'll be doing the Ron Bennington there, though. I don't know. It might be the first that they're not. I haven't. Now I understand that they are doing the Yes, okay. yes. Thank Good. God. You know, I didn't know. Um, so people in that area, please uh, head on over. So sign up for the Olympic Challenge. We're all going to have fun. It's going to be super fun. Although, do you watch the Olympics or you just don't like sports? I, I, I feel uh, abused, abused by the Olympics. The amount of press coverage that, you know, goes into something like this. Yes, so, you know. <laughs> I, really, I mean, I find that it's a little much. To, and then sometimes with these channels, with these uh, networks, they'll give you, like, extra channels. And, and more. I mean, how much can you take with this Olympic stuff? I mean, I've been... I've it's only two it. weeks, and it's yeah, thrilling, it. Polo. It's awesome. And, Polo, I'll tell you what. I'm going to get you to have fun with it. Go over and gamble with us. Come on. Okay. All right, go to the iBang okay. and sign up with it, and we're just going to have a ball with it. We've already got 11 full pages Jesus. of people that want to be part of this. Are we betting on how many people are on steroids or anything like that? You know, I know it's fun to be cynical, Paulo, but let's just put, point our cynicism towards the movie industry. Okay, fine. That's fine with me. Who do you like better than Paulo? There's nobody. There's nobody nicer than Paul. Speaking of which, there's another controversial film out this week, The Watch, which is, of course, was originally talk, talk, called Neighborhood Watch. And this is kind of almost feeds into this whole story because, I mean, it's about men who are supposedly out there to protect the community, and they just act like assholes because that's what men do. I so wanted to see this film because I needed a little comedy in my life. And Rotten Tomatoes has just destroyed it for me. Well, the me post is like a 13%. I laughed at the film. I think it's funny. I will say this, though. It is incredibly odd. It's just... It, it, I think the difficulty with accepting the film is it just, it's just so out of left field, half of what happens in the movie. Now, the I real, think Vince Vaughn is so funny, but he seems like he's gotten just a tad lazy in the last yeah, six, like seven years. Pro. But the guy who actually stands out is this new British uh, uh, writer, director, actor, uh, I, uh, I, uh, I can't even pronounce his name. But The fact the that you tried means the world to me, Paula. <laughs> I understand. I had it down, but then I forgot. Yeah. He's a great uh, writer, director. Let's just call him you now. <laughs> what? But he's great in the movie. And Paula, when are you coming back to New York? I, I have pl actually, Photoshop Mike's got a wedding coming up, and I was... You know, I'm supposed to. I'm. I would love to go. Are you going to be I, in it? I, he invited me, and I'm really so happy for the guy. And so the I'm a big is, fan of him too. He's great. I've got like four movies uh, that are going on that I'm involved with. So uh, you know, I, maybe my we should have an on-air uh, bachelor party for him. It would, Do it on air. Well, up. you know, I uh, uh, I probably spoke out of turn. Maybe he wants to keep this thing private, but I mean, no, he doesn't. Okay, well, good. He's a great guy. I love him. All right, I just got to think for me. Thanks for outing me, Paulo. There's a lot of people. Please don't come to my wedding now. <laughs> well, 
I, I won't reveal the location. You changed his life, I understand, with Gap. <laughs> great. That great. was his first time being a makeup man, and now he's doing it professionally. He's doing a great job. He's doing incredible things, and, and I don't know if I, you know, I'm not going to go into anything of any of my projects at this time. <laughs> Keep it quiet. Under- what are some of your other projects? I've got like four different projects, but you know, my life still sucks. And as such, it still is a difficult thing to get. Paul, whatever happened to your project, Mars Needs Lunch Meat? Um, <laughs> you've dropped that completely? Yeah, that one's on the back burner for sure. All right, <laughs> so uh, coming up in a little bit, we're going to do an Unmasked Hicks, and this is with Daryl Hammond. And Hicks personally said that this was his favorite of all time. Fantastic. I love Daryl Hammond, and this that book he wrote. It's crazy. Um are you? Do you mean that, or like people say online, are you just being agreeable with me? I ain't fucking. Do you want to just have your own opinions sometime? I have plenty of opinions. Those people, no, my opinion, I have opinion. Those people on there are fucking cunts. Why don't you agree? With, hey, come on. With well, that. I'm just saying. But it's awful. Why don't you agree with Fez and say that knives are the problem? Knives um, aren't the problem. I have plenty. Another heavily armed Joker arrested, this time in Maryland. Uh, Some wild ass shit. It is crazy. Paul Oda's movies. I might even have to just, I don't know, uh, ban movies. Just I like understand. in the comic books, the Joker's gang. Everybody go and watch Pay It Sing Forward. <laughs> Why don't we watch Pay It Howard? <laughs> that sounds fine, too. I mean, I, I, I do agree that it would be nice if we all... Uh, got along. Get along. <laughs> all right, Paul. Be better people. Talk to you later. I wish you were Armin White. Talk to you later, pal. Thank you. The weird thing about Paulo is that's the sweetest guy you're ever going to meet. As nutty as he is, and he's fucking batshit. <laughs> uh, he's also, he likes everyone and wants everything to work out for everybody. Is that who you picked there? No, she isn't. My, I, my pick is... Uh... That looks like an old friend of mine from Florida. Nice. One five, Miss Kate Beckinsall. All right, it's going to be tough to beat Kate because she's outstanding. Classic beauty. Posh spices there. I never cared much for the spices. Oh, posh is great. Never been a spice person. They're going to be. Hicks, the was that your stomach round like that? That was my stomach. Yeah. How's your stomach been lately? Because that sounded frightening. Uh, fucked up. Poop problems. <laughs> <laughs> really? When did that start? Oh, it's it's continual. Because maybe you caught something from Fez. Oh, fuck. We ate at the same place. Where's oh, that? No. Place across uh, by Rockefeller Center. What was this? It was um, after the uh, after the show, after the Rosanna mast. Oh, I thought you were talking about yesterday. Oh, no. Weird. He's like, no, not from fucking the Rosano Mast, as Fez put it. Who's that? This is Gemma Massey. She's 3-5 on the uh, 3 o'clock snack. And her titties are out. I might just agree with your beck and sale. It might have to do with it the way she's laying there, too. Are people keep writing in... Uh, there should always be something for Fez. Tony, you're gay. If you're worrying about gay, then that's 
You want it for yourself. Tony wants three o'clock bulge. That's what you're after. Uh, I want to see quite a few of the things that we missed up here because we had just uh, tons. Well, Google is your new TV and Internet provider. Yeah. And that will be everywhere in the country? It's rolled out. It's in Kansas City now. But, yeah, they plan to go big the cable and TV provider for everywhere. It's, Will they be able to do it in NYC? Might be able to bypass Time Warner? That's my hope. <laughs> uh, the armless guitar player is life affirming. That's up. This fucking guy is fucking playing his ass off. No arms. What playing with his bare feet. Fuck. All right, feety. Uh, you smell good enough to read is up there. The Instagram uh, glasses. And Broomhilda, the edgy shock jock, put that up very quickly. This was hard to believe. Uh, but Broomhilda doing guns in uh, the... In a fucking movie theater jokes. <laughs> oh, Tony is gay. Oh, all right. That makes sense. Then there should be something for you, Tony. And you should push Fez. Get that bulge Tony says, out. thanks, Ron. I need a dick. I hope you get it, Tony. <laughs> get a couple for yourself. Here I thought you were just worried about Fez's gayness. No, you've got your own. I just never met a guy named Tony who was gay. Ayo. He hey, a hey, hey. hey, I gotta grab somebody's ball bag. I wanna goggle some Hey, cum. it's me, Tony. I want some baloney. In my mouth, that hey. ass at the same time. The weird thing when I was younger, I don't know if it's still this way, but the stereotypical gay name always used to be Bruce. <laughs> and I was like, well, how would a gay have the same name? Because... You wouldn't know that the baby is fucking gay. Like, oh, he looks gay. Let's call him Bruce. And that's what I think happened to Tony. He's like, oh, let's go out and do some gay stuff. Come on, guys. Gay dungeons. It's me, Tony. I thought I'd come over and suck your cock. Come on, fuck my mouth. Fuck my mouth, if not my asshole. Where's all the dicks at? Hey. I'm going to the dance club. Hey, it's me, Tony. Uh, we also never got to the five, but it's a fine one. Uh, fine uh, Films that are tough on Hollywood. Films that can only show you the rough side of Hollywood. Nostalgic drug raid is up there. The iceberg tsunami is frightening piece of video. Yeah. Uh, and the Sandusky uh, voicemail. Oh, and I played it on the show today. It's up on the iBang if you would like to uh, check it out. Unless you're Tony and you're Jack and do it. I wish Sandusky was my coach. Oh. Why didn't I meet a guy like Sandusky when I was a little kid? He could have filled me the fuck up. Oh. You know, there's another good point when you get into the gay stuff, as. You know, like, you think pedophiles are fucking awful, blah, 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 right? Yes. But for guys, if they thought there was an older woman with them when they were a kid, we love that. Hell yeah. That's a victory. S summer of 42. Yes, so that's not exactly being a pedophile. That's heterosexual love. The good, you know, a great kind of love. Where the gay thing suddenly 
People are upset. It's a I think that you should look into protecting Sandusky the same way that Hicks and I would have protected Sandusky if he was a woman. Oh, yeah. We'd have been like, these kids are fucking lucky. Come on, they're fucking the shit out of Mrs. Sandusky. She's lucky. a piece of ass. She's turning them into men. Digging their dicks, making them come. All right. <laughs> you take advantage of the XL channel. Your last opportunity to really get in over this. We got a chance for you to win. Go to the iBang. Sign up for our Olympic Games. Shaq Ball. Shaq Ball. Signed. On the line. You're never going to get another chance for that. And it's this easy. You play along with us. Beat Chris Stanley. Beat Good Fez. Luck. Good luck. Beat Ronnie B. Beat Come Pips. On. Pips, did you sign up? Going to right after the show, Ron. What are you waiting for? Hey, hey yo, yo babes. Come on. Babes. Hey. Um, I didn't even get the chance to talk to my kids today. How are they doing, my little interns? They're holding up. Are they? Yeah. Joe's got this new job he's trying to get into. It's crazy. Uh, is he in on Monday? Yes. Is that in Monday? Yes. Tell them Monday I want to dedicate a break. I want to find out what's going on with them, all right? All right, all right I'm getting there. I want to mentor them on Monday. Okay. Hey, yo, Tony, hey, hey, hey. Coming up, we've got an unmasked going down. Um, and it should be a good one. And again, I just want to say, your chance in Iowa to go out and get yourself the Ron Barrington Cupcake, the cupcake that passed me in fame within seconds. Just shot by me. It's a fucking Frankenstein's monster. If I myself was as popular as that cupcake, I'd be a happy man today. Forget instead it. of fucking glaring at you two guys and wondering how you ruined my life. What? And I've made up a list if you guys ever want to hear it. <sighs> All right. Sure. Really, you do? Uh, on a fucking shoot level? Oh, uh, no, no. I thought you did. Because I'd be ready to fucking read it off. Uh, so coming up next, an unmasked, well, it's a dark unmasked, isn't it? Oh, yeah. A gentleman who, oh, did he come from a bad fucking place? I hate to say worst mom ever, but I'm going to say it. When a fucking woman takes a knife and cuts a little kid's tongue with it. That's right. Now suddenly my mom, I'm like, mom, thank you for never cutting my tongue with a knife. Yeah, really? My mom would have said this. I told you. I told you it could be worse out there. So I hit you with a slipper. So what? I'm 4'11", and I'm swinging a tiny old slipper at you and your brother. <laughs> it used to feel like we were getting beat like this. It's not that rough. We used to laugh on her face. <laughs> and then we'd also yell, you're hitting us with the slipper, you midget. Actually, she ever she only hit with the slipper to a protect her hand, b because she'd mark us up. Fuck you up. Damn, my mom, still to this day, she's ready to go. She's ready to throw down. All right, uh, that's it. We're gonna break. Check out this uh, three o'clock snack, though. Do your voting. Who's winning right now, Hicks? It's uh, three five, Miss Gemma Massey. All right, let me. She's beating Beckinsale? She's beating Beck. You ever notice Beckinsale never wins one of these? She gets in a couple? She deserves a win. What's Jenna Massey's story? Is she famous? I think she's a soccer wag. All right. 
I can see I made a mistake. You need to get completely nude if you want to win. Yeah, why don't you pop your titties out? Something. Give us something. Half an ass lip. Something that we can fucking wrap our hearts and minds around. Um, so we will talk to you guys on Monday. But enjoy this unmasked. It's a fine one. It's a weird one. It is Daryl Hammond. Uh, and... I won't come back after that, so I'll see you on Monday. Take care, everybody. Ron and Fez. The Ron and Fez Show. Daryl Hammond, everybody. Thank you. Uh, And the book is God. If you're not up there, I'm fucked. Is the uh, is the title? And you were just telling me that maybe not the best title to sell books with. Well, I, I tried. I am I close? Enough? Yeah, you're fine. I tried to tell people what was out in America. I mean, I've I've been out there, you know, for twenty or twenty five years doing stand up in roughly forty or forty five states, and that people. No matter what it is, no matter how many porns they have in their house, right? They don't like the Ten Commandments to be to be compromised. Uh -huh. That's a very true story. Yeah. So here we have God's name in in their mind being used in vain, and so I mean, you know, airports wouldn't sell it, Walmart wouldn't sell it, uh, Barnes and Noble might handle it back in the X-rated section. You know, I mean. It, it was really disconcerting because it came became a New York Times bestseller for a number of weeks, but only online. Yeah, and you and you wrote the book, of course, to identify, help other younger people, whatever, identify with the kind of stuff that you got over, as well as telling your own story. It's to let other people also know that they're not alone in the world. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I spent most of my life knowing something was wrong with me, but not really knowing what it was, and it wasn't until. My daughter was born, and that spurred a flashback. Uh, you know, I, I saw how perfect she was, and I thought, you know, what would you have to do <clears throat> to a creature to to screw it up as much as I am, right. to turn it into me? And that sort of concept of perfection versus me <laughs> um, <laughs> spurred all these flashbacks. And yeah. I became a trauma patient for a number of years, and we dealt with uh, all those all those memories. All right, when you bring up flashbacks, is it you're actually seeing it, or you're just feeling the path of these memories? It's uh, it's kind of what um, you know. I went to one famous treatment center, and um, they said we we really want to send you to a camp where the army sends their POWs. So I kept hearing from doctors, you have the symptoms of a POW. We don't really know what's wrong. Mm. I was having, let's say, uh, prisoner of war style flashbacks. But, I mean, some doctors refer to them as fugue states, and music of fugue is more than one note at one time. Right. So, I mean, you obviously don't see uh, uh, an image on the wall uh, of of your memory, <clears throat> but... It's like we're here with all of you, and then I'm back in the kitchen with my mom, and she has out the knife. Yeah. You know, you feel them both at the same time. And um, um, it's bizarre because it's almost as if I was looking – my life was uh, – my brain was like a computer screen of, like, you know um, – 
what do you call them, apps, you know, the little thing, sure. emblems you put on the, the computer. And there would be like several thousand, but there would be five that were blurry. And I kept going, oh, you know, what happened? What in the world happened to me? And it wasn't until my daughter was born that all the flashbacks started. And some of these things, there were certain triggers that happened throughout your Can life. Can we let them know that I was also funny for a living? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think that's the... All right, this is the thing, because all comics are kind of dark, you know? But Richard Pryor would look at this and go, Oh, fuck, this is really, this is really awful. Yeah. You know, like, I was really lucky back in the warehouse. I didn't have to put up with any of this. I, yeah, and Frank might have done this. Yeah, right. <laughs> Really, it really is kind of Anne Frank with impressions. Yeah, is the thing. I think I think that's the pitch we're going to give yeah. the Warner Brothers. But Anne Frank makes Rich Little. <laughs> but that is the strange thing about this is because while you're dealing with this, you're on the show to do comedy on. You've done it longer than everybody else, yeah. but the balance is never there. I mean, mm. you're going back and forth with the highs of doing SNL with the biggest stars coming through, your bits being watched by everybody in Washington, Hollywood, New York, but at the same time, you're still experiencing these th same things that we're talking about. The flashbacks. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's why, you know, um, sometime, there was one time in particular where um, you know, I, I was a cutter, and I, I was talking to a, a shrink recently who said, I've never heard of a male cutter. And I said, yeah. well, does that make me gay? Yeah, I do. <laughs> that would be the first thing. Say, well, um, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> I don't know. I was a baseball player. Right. I, I don't get manicures. I do my own, you know, yeah. I use nail clippers. Not gay. Right. <laughs> but you... <laughs> I never... I don't know why I'm the only male cutter. But, right. But that, that I don't know. I haven't heard of... But, you know, males tend to do, I think, go out and try to hurt themselves through, you know, oh, I'm going to jump my motorcycle or, you know, I mean, like there's ways that boys tend to kind of bust themselves up. Well, you know, whether it's a, a boy or a girl or a man or a woman, you know, yeah. you're cutting to create the illusion of control. Uh, by that I mean, um, for instance, I won an award for one sketch I did uh, as Al Gore. I won an international award for that sketch, but before I went out there, I just made a little cut on my arm because it creates a it creates a fresh manageable crisis. I mean, all the cuts aren't are not about dying; they're about creating a crisis that you can manage. That's uh, as opposed to the one that's going on in your head that has you lying on the floor. But you understand that now, but at the time you were cutting, you didn't know why you were doing Didn't know what was wrong. Though. Yeah. <clears throat> and some of the reasons are you were actually being cut as a child. Actually, I was only cut one time. Yeah. I was stabbed and I was electric. Uh, that was just once. I mean, yeah. I, I was, uh, you know, electrocuted, beaten, yeah. stuff like that. But I actually was only stabbed once. Uh, so you're lucky when you really think about it. <laughs> I mean, I tried to tell that to Anne Frank. Yeah, right. I was like, really, Anne, one yeah. stabbing. But through a lot of this, I know that you've done, you've dealt with the program, and but you know, it seems to me that you were really just trying to self-medicate. I mean, it doesn't seem like you're yeah. like a fun party guy no. at all. Just no. like stop. These no, it stuff. was yeah, no. it really wasn't about, you know, t you know, dancing on the ceiling. Right. 
for me or, or even having you know great conversation or picking up a, a a woman or a girl or something like that it was always about you know stop my life for a few hours while I'm alive you know while I'm awake just wanted to numb it no matter what happened yeah I mean you know that's a tricky thing because you know liquor had about as much to do with liquor was a solution mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and it has to be viewed as, as a solution that that finally stopped working but it had about as much to do with what was wrong with me as you know the the fibers in this carpet did with the Hindenburg disaster I mean, right <clears throat> that's not a great analogy but the point being that it's it was a solution you know that um, but you can't like go well no, it's okay to go out and drink a Rubbermaid garbage can full of corn liquor again. Yeah, it's not. But, but at the same time, as you're in, try, when 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 most people, I guess even in the program, you didn't have a lot in common with because a lot of them were drinking for different reasons or just got caught up in the fun aspect. Yeah, it's tricky. But I mean, you know, I always had a dual dual. I mean, I started getting a dual, dual diagnosis. Mm -hmm. When I went to this really important hospital, and they said, you're not just this, you're also this. So, right. I mean, it's, listen, liquor wasn't a fun thing for me ever, and it's not really a fun thing for me now, you know. Um, but it did, you know, you you hear drunk say sometimes, you know, it kept me alive for a while until right. I could get here. There's no question that it shut down a lot of what was happening inside. Me. And also, you know, when I got to college, and I was 19, <clears throat> I, um, they used, you know, I went f for a minor in theater, and they used to make fun of me in the, I, you know, you take speech classes, oral interpretation classes, and the professor, you know, like one time I, uh, I, uh, I recited some line from Chaucer or something like that, and I never remember this professor Zimmerman goes, <clears throat> he like interrupts me in the middle of it, and he goes, uh, yeah, if you were underwater with your flippers and your snorkel on, my God, take a strap on a pair and speak, my man. That was the first time I ever heard strap on a pair. <laughs> <coughs> uh, uh, the, uh, <coughs> you know, you think, uh, I just was not able to talk for, mm -hmm. um, I don't know. You know, I went through a couple of days where I couldn't speak at all, and then there were uh, maybe a year or two, you know, um, before it was just really hard to, to complete a sentence without my jaw locking up. And yet, you rose to this great job, which everybody in your profession would love to be in. Did that give you any real pleasure? Did it feel great being on Saturday Night Live all those years? You know, I've I've told people that um, it, it, when you make a crowd of fifteen or twenty people laugh that you never met, that's a high. Right, There's no question about it. So transfer that to SNL, and now it's six million. Right, you know. So in, in the studio, there are two hundred and seventy-five or three hundred plus, you know, stars, politicians, athletes, and stuff like that. So yeah, you know, kill and you have a great set on Saturday right. Night Live. You're high, but for how long? How long does that last you? Does it last through Sunday, Monday? No, it lasts about till I, you know, I I was typically, you know, it got to the point where I would get home, I would do my last sketch and just go home. I wouldn't even stay for the good nights because I didn't really, I didn't really feel like part of the cast at all, because I only did impressions. I was mm -hmm. not a sketch player like everyone else, so I would do my last sketch and I'd be in my house with a bottle of Jim Beam. I would like to say, I hasten to add, um, only because I like that expression. <laughs> um, 
that um, I uh, never was high on game day. Yeah. I never drank on game day. I, I mean, I might be crazy, but I'm not stupid. You know, flying that big aircraft, you should not be drinking. But not only that, it's not the fact that you missed the end of the show, but then everybody goes out and has a party and celebrates every single week. And other stars came in. And this was the world that you earned. You had the key to this, and you didn't join in. You weren't part of that. No, I wasn't. <clears throat> and did you ever feel friendly with the people on the cast, like uh, where you were like, "All right, this is somebody I can relate to"? Yes, I yeah. mean, I didn't ever have a problem with anyone in the cast. Right. In fact, I enjoyed all of them, and every we enjoyed one another. I guess people thought I was odd, but um, I enjoyed all of them and being with them. I think. Tracy Morgan, I can I connected with maybe mm -hmm. for whatever reason, and spent time with and enjoyed you know his company. But didn't people think it was weird that you weren't going to the cast party after? Yeah, and I mean I was carried out of there in a straitjacket. People knew I was yeah. a, they knew I was a nut, you know. And yet, I mean I say that because the reason I say this is because the last hospital I went to. It was a world-famous hospital with a world-famous doctor, okay, who kind of unraveled my brain for me because he had me every day for like three months. But he, he walked in the room, he had his clipboard with him, and he goes, and he, you know, I've been diagnosed with like 10 things that I wasn't because no one knew what was wrong with me either. So the guy walks in the room and he, he, uh, he doesn't even speak to me. He's looking at his clipboard. He goes, uh, five detoxes. <laughs> Yes. And I said, yeah, kind of. Yeah. Yes. And he said, uh, nine psychiatric facilities, uh, two lockdowns. Yes. I said, that's right. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> and he said, uh, you are a schizophrenic. You are a manic depressive. You are a borderline personality disorder. You are psychotic. You, he goes, well, let's face it, you are a nut. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I said, I guess I kind of... Yeah, right. He goes, you know, I'm laughing because you're not any of these things. You know, and then he proceeded to get up inside my head. I mean, he basically, what he was telling me was, you're not any of these things. And at the time, I mean, when I was doing SNL... Um, I was on at least five medications, including, uh, and listen, they're all five, they're fine medications mm -hmm. if you've got the illness. Right. But to be on Lamictal, which is a very powerful mood stabilizer for unipolar, bipolar, all the polars, and uh, manic depression, you know, mm -hmm. it's a great medication, but I wasn't that. So that was the most powerful one of them all. In fact, you know, when I did uh, network dramas um, and got good reviews for it, I made sure that I didn't take my Lamictal, you know, for a few weeks before I did it, you know. Um, so I was on five medications, and basically he was in there saying things to me like, um, you don't see things or hear things. Um, anyway, he, he was kind of a genius. He had me every day for three months. And then after he was finished with me, there was no more cutting, there was no more flashbacks, no more nightmares, you know. I mean, and you've gotten off all those drugs. Yeah, I'm only on Wellbutrin now, which is sort of a, you know, I don't know what you would call it, but lots of folks are on it, and it's pretty, it's pretty light and pretty mild. Uh, and it's not easy to come off those drugs either because you just start to feel things again. Oh, yeah. Yeah. For a long time you were numb, right? 
I was numbed. Numbed. I mean, yeah. you know, since the from the time I was nineteen, the doctors, you know, I, I wouldn't didn't know what to do with me, uh -huh. and so they would just say, you know what? Since we don't really know what's wrong with him, I mean, one doctor said I was manic depressive. Another guy is schizophrenic. Another guy said I was a multiple personality, which I don't really. I'm not really sure there's ever been an actual multiple personality mm -hmm. that I'm aware of. I mean, even Sybil, it turns out, was something of a hoax. So, but they were all trying everything they could, and at the end of the day, they thought, well, we don't want the guy, you know, especially once I got on TV, they're like, you know, the guy's on TV, we don't want him to jump off a building after he leaves our joint. Yeah. Uh, drug him. Um, yeah. Put him down. Treat him for five or six things, and maybe we'll hit one of them. So that's and, kind of an odd way to live. And it's also, I mean, when you think about it, impressionist, multiple personality, yeah, I yeah. guess, <clears throat> I mean, it's what you do for a living, yeah. you're trying to jump into these other people. I think, though, a multiple personality in the classic sense becomes someone and, and then returns to their former self and can't remember being the other person. Yeah. You know, they when they become that person, they don't know the their real self. I mean, that's never happened to me. But the thing about you when you do impressions, and you, you're not going to make it to where you are unless you can do this, not making it to the head of the top of the mountain there, but to be able to do the impression first, because that's what... That's when I think it entails genius, because uh, the rest of the people wait until you do Bill Clinton, and then everybody starts to, oh, now I'll, I'll instead of modeling the first person, like you uh, yeah. did, they model the impressionist. Yeah, on SNL, I used to do this thumb and lip thing with Clinton, yeah. <clears throat> like we would have Clinton go, <laughs> right, <laughs> and that was like in every script, right. And they would write in, you know, we get here, we'd write, 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 and then in every single script at some point it would say, <coughs> laughs, does the thumb and lip thing. Yeah. So it was always interesting for me to watch Impressionists on television doing the thumb and lip thing, except I never saw Bill Clinton do <laughs> he it. He never did it. He never did it right. It, it, it never occurred yeah. as far as I knew in nature. And I think that impressions are kind of like golf. Where everyone feels like they've got somewhat of a game, so they'll they'll go. You know, most people will just get the tiniest thing, and then jump on it. But I do think that most people do impressions of impressionists. I think that's, and then it becomes like multiplicity, where it just gets worse and worse and worse <laughs> as it's going down the line. Yeah, I mean, if you take, if you were, let's say, I wanted to make a sculpture of an eagle, mm -hmm. I'm going to do a lot better if I look at a sculpture of an eagle and try to imitate that, because the guy's already figured out how to do it for you. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah there was a lot of that, and there has been a lot of that. There were times on SNL. Or they would want me to look at someone doing someone, and would I do it like that? And, you know, for the life of me, as much as I respected and loved Lauren Michaels, I couldn't do it and wouldn't do it. It was like just a, a it was vulgar to me. I told him so, and no one, I think, respected that more than him. Well, uh, it's also an interesting thing, because you said you didn't feel part of the cast because you were an impressionist. But mm. in all the years of that show... Lauren's never really just said to somebody, I'm going to put you in a specialty place the way he did you. The, as a matter of fact, keeping you for 14 years. Yeah. It's a really weird move for him to make. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, I, I'm sure <clears throat> he had his reasons for that, but I can tell you what what my worth there was mm -hmm. and why my mother-in-law has a bunch of condominiums now. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> <laughs> And I live in my office. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, how do you buy people condominiums in Key Largo? <laughs> you have this talent. <laughs> um, I um, I could learn. You know, I was a bad student. I graduated college with a two point one. I had a learning disability. I was a real. I was a D and C student. You know, um, but I could learn printed words and voices fast. You know, they don't have jobs for that, for what I could do, you know. Right. And he auditioned me, I think, five times. And during the, you know, the, about 10 minutes per time. And he would, during that time, he said, he learns super fast. And um, someone said, well, what does that mean? He goes, that means he can do the cold open. He can, because the cold open is a topical piece. That's how they start the show, and um, that means he can. I want him for that. And then someone said, "Well, why would you have the nut? You know, the craziest person in the history of the show, uh, as I've been called, um, be doing the cold open." He said, "Because he doesn't get scared." Mm. And I thought, what? and people, went, what in the world does that mean? I'm like. I've seen so much. I mean, he's like, I, 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 this is all. This could be a myth, but people said that he said that he's he's more comfortable and he's comfortable when there's danger. Right. So because why? Because you've had worse things happen to you. Yeah, kind of. On live TV, I mean, um, that's yeah, nothing. Yeah, I mean, when someone's walking towards you with a knife, yeah, and asking to hold your mouth open, that's a lot worse than a scaffolding falling. And, you know, you know I mean? to go back, because the thing about Lauren is you don't exactly, like, we're kind of guessing because he doesn't really go out and say why he does these things, but it's interesting. I had a, yeah, I had a great relationship with him, but I didn't attempt to think, you know, I mean, we, we didn't pal around right. in the Hamptons or anything like that, but I, he, he let me know how well he understood me in various ways. And I think he wants a professional relationship, right? Like, the people that see yeah, him yeah, get yeah, yeah. hurt. On that show, and a lot of funny people have done SNL and left and felt terrible or whatever, and yeah. or they tried a year or two and it didn't work. But a lot of them want something out of Lauren other than, than you know, than the professional, job. yeah, yeah, professional job. <clears throat> people used to say that you know, um, um, you know, are you mad because you only do impressions? And I said, you know, this is a job that was offered me. My right. daughter's going to college. There's a door. I can leave. You know, I made that choice. To put my kid through school, and and uh, and he offered me that. I don't know, how, you know, this guy's like a genius. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know how to produce a damn show. How you produce those things? He's like, I do this show. It's legend. I want you on it to do this job. How about it? I was like, uh, yeah. I yeah. want that job. I do. I mean, you're wearing a Yankees cap, but it is like playing for the Yankees. It's the exact same thing. And George Steinbrenner is not going to always invite you to the wedding no. or be your. Pal. He knows how to do it. Right. He knows how to how to field a major league baseball team. Right. And 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 he doesn't really want to consult. Yeah. You know, here's a job. It pays a lot. Your kid gets to go to college. It doesn't get that much better in the United States than that. I uh, mean, to buy, I don't know what else you want this damn country to be for. Is to improve your children, improve your life, improve right. yourself. If you make that choice, that's a pretty impressive place to live. And that's what you were looking to do in one generation for your kid. I mean, to go from the childhood that you had to be, uh, all this stuff that you're doing is trying to figure this out because obviously something happened to your mom before you came along that she didn't figure out. And yes, you that, know what I mean. Yeah, that was the point of um, you know this doctor. I mean, I, I don't want to bore everyone, but that was one of the that that's where he was leading over a three month period 
was he one of, and and it ended up i had um a bizarre i don't know if you've ever had a dream where it seems like it's not a dream like it really seems real and uh, i remember getting up from my bed and walking to the window <clears throat> but i was dreaming it but it didn't seem like it and i had this uh dream about my mother in the snow like a little girl in the snow helpless three or four years old um who had my mother's eyes it was so real and then when i woke up from that i remember um feeling like that my whole life made sense now to me you know and like oh oh i get it this whole damn thing probably began 300 years ago in another country where her ancestors are from because you know that it gets passed on from generation to generation to generation and that she couldn't be what she was that she had one been once been perfect too you know yeah and someone had to do something you know there's a great line in silence of the lambs when hannibal lecter tells clarice starling um this serial killer can't be a serial killer by himself someone has to teach him how to be this right yeah and at that point you know i stopped hating my mom and i think it's compelling that once i stopped hating then the symptoms went away yeah bizarre uh, but he's he's like a genius, this guy. I mean, you know, but he's not cheap. And of course, it took. <laughs> I mean, he's not cheap, but he he delivers. Dude, he also has his work cut out for him. Yes. It's <laughs> That's what he said to me. He go, he goes, uh, yeah. You're not going to be able to find somebody to work on this in every town. No, you know? no, no, not in Melbourne, Florida. He, he goes, no, I I would like to let you go up to one month, but let's face it, you are a fucked up guy. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> True life story. And right now, you seem okay for the first time in your whole life, right? I mean, I think so. I mean, yeah. I'm still a little loopy, you know. Right. I'm, I'm still, you know, go to therapy and I'm involved in groups. I do volunteer work. I just returned from raising money um, um, uh, for disabled children in Louisiana. Um, people, uh, children that had illnesses that people don't quite get yet. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of my life. I mean, my life was about people looking at me uh, with fear and pity at the same time. So uh, I know those children know what that is. You know, there's something wrong and doctors don't completely understand it. But I was there and I went down and, and helped raise some money. And I felt like I did something interesting. And I'm not interesting, but I think actually useful. <clears throat> All those years that you were doing Saturday Night Live, the cast knew what you were going through? The I would assume so. Yeah. I don't know how you couldn't. But nobody came to you? There wasn't... Um... There were a couple of producers who right. were going above and beyond the call of duty to you know make sure how see how i was doing all the time it's amazing though you know particularly since the self-medication you're going out doing dope on your own away from this and or drinking away from it that lauren wouldn't have thought hey this is something that could drag the show down we don't need you know bad press on this he's pretty smart yeah i mean you know i was hitting home runs mm -hmm. i was kicking field goals as it were i mean i was sort of a specialty teams player right i think field goal kicker is a great analogy a designated hitter would be another analogy i was hitting home runs and kicking field goals i you know I, there may have been the sense that perhaps this actually is good for him he's he's in no one works harder right i don't think it, i never really thought what i did was a mystery i always thought i could outwork people you know and you, that was my goal you know 
And when you start to work these, I mean, you, you've you gotten uh, some impressions out there mm. that not only did no one do uh, before you, but people really didn't do Like, say, Dick Cheney, that was an, kind of an impossible impression. Mm -hmm. You know, there's some people, you look at Jack Nicholson or Al Pacino, and you could go, oh, yeah. I see this big in life. But Dick Cheney was also in and tight, and you were able mm -hmm. to find that. Yeah, you know? I mean... I, um, I would go to the Comedy Cellar in Greenwich Village, and my goal was to see how do I make Republicans and Democrats laugh at the same time about this guy? Um, what's interesting about him that everyone can agree, that I can exaggerate and everyone can enjoy? Because, you know, I come from a soldier's home. We don't have... Uh, we didn't have Republicans and Democrats. We had the miracle of a country where power was passed down without firing a shot. That was our 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 uh, politics. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't interested in condemning anyone from either party. Um, I wanted to make people laugh, as many people as I could in the room, as many people as I could in, in the country. So and I finally decided, what if I make him a tough guy that cracks one-liners? Well, we all know he's tough, and it's funny to hear this guy who doesn't crack one-liners crack one-liners. Right. You know, so I would take that down to the comedy cellar night after night after night after night until finally I came on that sort of, the, you know, I, I, I picked up his grin, and I, I, start, I started getting a sense of how people could, could laugh, you know. And enjoy, um, you know, Dick Cheney. Um, but you got to grind through that a long time before you can find it. I mean, you're, yeah. you're dying in front of audience. Well, the stuff. first time I did Dick Cheney, I just went out and I talked like that. <laughs> you know, I mean, they were they gave it to me um, like a, a second before air. Right. You know, um, like I mean, it was literally a few hours before air, and I I'm not politically minded. I was like, uh, I know who he is, of course. I don't know how he talks. And some guy goes, he kind of funk like that. <laughs> he's he's very, he's not very, uh, you know, uh, uh, colorful. So I go, okay. So I go out in the monologue and I do uh, this monologue and <laughs> and it worked well enough. But we didn't we didn't do Cheney again for a while. Yeah. But I mean, it was this monologue where I, um, there was something about President Bush and his drinking or something. That was the subject of the monologue and. Um, Cheney's trying to talk to the audience when the phone rings, and he picks up the phone. And he goes, "Yep, yep. Where are you? Okay, don't try to drive." <laughs> <laughs> and, and it was hit. That right. was it. Was an instant right. sensation. Yeah, nationally. And so um, then after that, I took it down to the village for a couple of months, and and I finally got it. I mean, we all. I mean, I wanted something that everyone can agree on. Yeah. In the room, I'm not. A, I'm not trying to attack anyone. I want if the audience can't agree with your premise, they're not laughing. So what do we all know? And then I took a few gestures and I exaggerated them, and then we we were finally onto something. But if you play any of these guys, you're kind of doing it without judgment. Um, yes. Or or do you end up liking? Bill Clinton and Dick Cheney, like an actor who's played a role for a while, you know. Do you? You know, it's funny. My father enjoyed, liked Clinton and Cheney. He mm -hmm. thought they both had, you know, talents of their own. Um, and uh, I kind of, once you've been over to their house and you've met their wife right. and their kids, 
um, it really makes it hard to get personal. I mean, I wasn't planning on doing that to begin with, but they, they these guys, I met their, I was in their inner sanctums. I yeah. was at the White House. I was at, you know, Vice President's house. I mean, I was in their world, you know, pretty far. It's kind of brilliant that they'll, that, you know, they will all show up at Saturday Night Live and then invite you guys down for dinners and stuff because it keeps you closer and it is hard to be rough on someone who's been kind to you been nice to you, you know? well th all of that's fair yeah. you know um if it's in the newspaper you do your best to not go over the line and sometimes you do have you ever gotten calls over that though is that anyone ever i never said? got calls on it but yeah. i've gotten glares at major events right. <laughs> from really powerful people yeah yeah i mean we did a terrible um i mean no, I shouldn't tell the joke now because I just called it terrible. It was actually, <laughs> it was actually a great joke. Mm -hmm. Who um, the butt of that joke did not like. It was, and I, and when I say it's over the line, um, <clears throat> I, I want these. These are the most powerful people on the earth. Mm -hmm. So I, I want them to go. All right, all right. I didn't like that one. Not like God. I hate him. Yeah. You know? Right. But one night as Bill Clinton, <clears throat> I said. Uh, I will not interfere with Hillary's campaign because the last thing in the world I want to do is screw Hillary. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, I almost shot myself. Right. <laughs> the look that she gave me the following Monday at the plaza, I almost like, just yeah. give me the gun. I'll do it. Right. I'm sorry, Mrs. Clinton. I, yeah. You know. And it is interesting that... That, you know, some people sign up for it, but then it's their family as well, right? Their family. Oh, uh, hell yeah. Yeah. They're right. humans. Right. You know, they're, the family's not in this. Mm -hmm. They're human beings, and their dad happens to be really powerful. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was always interesting to me that <clears throat> I, I never met Chelsea Clinton, but I did meet um, Dick Cheney's family. And I thought, geez, he's a dad? Right. No one think, why? I mean, these are great kids. Yeah. So I didn't know. Yeah, not only is it dad, but then you're like, you see him flip-flopping, and he's like, oh, my kid's lesbian? Well, then for gay marriage, you know what I mean? Like, he will, he's not just cut out of stone. He makes his own... The hard person. thing about being one of these world leaders is that it, it's like being a doctor with a scalpel and a tracheotomy. Tra yeah. Tra what do you call him? Tracheotomy? Tracheotomy. You're going to cut open the guy. Mm. You can't say oops. Right. You know? It's the same with them. They make this mistake, and it's like, oh, God, that's three days on the Internet. Spin doctor is going to call. I'm going to get drunk tonight. I can't take it. It's very hard to do what they do. Uh, how often would the writers come in and say, we want you to do this, or did you find the impression first and tell them? Hey, I never, never did that. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. So you would just kind of get an assignment, like Mission Impossible, boom, this is the guy you got to Right. Have. Five or ten a week, yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And worked at those just on your own and at clubs, not... Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I would, you know, an assistant would come in and say, all right, you're going to learn uh, Donald Trump. What do you need? Mm -hmm. And I'd say, I need him young. I need the youngest you can get and the oldest you can get. Uh, I need to know where he's from. What's the dialect? Um, does he have any speech impediments? Does he have any irregular? Because it's really hard to do a guy with perfect speech. Right. You know, like like Bob Costas said to me one time, why don't you do me? And I, <laughs> I did him in a couple of sketches. I said, Bob, A, your speech is perfect, and B, you have 
this you wear the mantle of good guy works hard does well and in america you yeah. kind of can't impeach that right you know it's hard to make fun of a good guy who works hard good family man works hard and kicks ass it's kind of like that's what we do if we're lucky right you don't want vanilla as much as you know you're gonna you want to find whatever extreme well he came get. up to me in a, in a, a at hbo once and he said you've got the great couple you've got the great clinton you've got the great gore but you can't do me you've, you've tried to do me yeah. and you failed utterly <laughs> And he signed a piece of paper. And he goes, and I, ha I just saw this the other day at home. He goes, here's my autograph. Why don't you imitate that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, for me, I think, and it's funny how people start to believe it for a while, because if you go back, there's no reason to ever thought that Sean Connery would be this aggressive kind of maniac. <laughs> there was nothing in his life's work and yet when we watch you do that it's Connery to us now you know? Clinton and Connery have transcended the generations <laughs> right. um, you know I've been around the country and uh, 20 year old people and 70 year old people will walk up and go moo and I'll go what is moo and they'll go that's the sound your mother makes <laughs> <laughs> and yet, where did that come from that he was this aggressive? I mean, I was in Chinatown in San Francisco. <laughs> Some guy with a, an apron comes, you know, and a, a chef's hat comes out of a restaurant and goes, Ah, Trebekah, suck it! <laughs> He's, like, He's good, that guy. I He's mean, picked up wow, on this is, yeah. It's odd because, you know, I said before the comment, the audience has to understand your premise and agree with it. Mm -hmm. Well, you, that's one, like the strangest thing that ever happened in my comedy career. Because there's no, it's bizarre. Right. What do you mean he's stupid? He's not stupid. And yeah. he, why would he hate Alex Trebek? <laughs> exactly. Like, no one's going to buy that. Right. right. And yet we were out there going, well, this is another one down the tube. Yeah. And um, someone, he, uh, Will Ferrell was playing Alex yeah. Trebek. And um, he, uh, Sean Connery, we we're doing Celebrity Jeopardy. And Sean Connery rang his buzz buzzer and said, I'll take the ripers for 5,000. <laughs> and the place exploded. And everyone kind of looked at it and she's like, man, we, are, we just got, yeah, we wow, just, we yeah. just onto something. I mean, when you hear that whole room explode like that, it's not, there's no error. Well, you know, the beauty of, of what you have in that position doing that, that you never had coming up in the clubs is you get will to play off of you know oh, so suddenly oh, that's yeah. helping to to sell that bit you know until the audience catches up with it yeah that's very perceptive of you because yeah. i sat next to him for five years at read through um read through at snl is wednesdays from it's like a five or six hour thing where we read say 35 to 50 sketches we've never seen before and there were times when I would actually have to stop what I was doing and looking at him and go, God damn, you're funny. Yeah. Oh, my God, you're funny. Like, I have to look at you. I have to stop, I have to stop looking at this paper and look at this. You're, that's how funny you are, you know? Well, I thought that one of the most incredible things that you guys did is during Bush Gore. And people kind of forget because 9-9-11 happened, you know, after. But mm -hmm. this uh, this country was about blowing up 
over that election where people were in the streets and fighting and screaming. Yeah. And you guys mm. turn this into some kind of adorable Hope Crosby Roadshow thing yes. that I think uh, chilled people out quite a we bit. We actually really won an award. Will and I both shared yeah. an award that the most famous journalists in the world have won. And, you know... Um, like then there's like it's like Walter Cronkite and Katie Kirk and all these really powerful, important, influential voices, and me. <laughs> you know, um, I mean it's it's cool enough that Will Ferrell's standing next to me, but I thought me. Right. I mean, I graduated with a two point one. That was with cheating. You know. <laughs> um, what am I doing standing here winning this award? But. Um, you know, in fairness, I mean, we were doing what we were doing what we wanted to do out there, and it was going well for us out there. But it was being written by Jim Downey, who's won several thousand Emmys if he's won one, and we so th the three of us together put that together. But I would think that the that the immediate thing would go, all right, well, we're going to have these guys warring against each other. Yeah. But you went in a totally different way, well, yeah, and we, it seemed we, like they really liked each other. It was, yeah. It was really, really sweet yeah. and weird. Yeah, it's like how do we make how do we make everyone laugh? Yeah, I mean, you know, we're about making the whole room laugh. I mean, we always were, and Downey was about that, and that's what we were trying to do, and that's what came up. Uh, you do a show like this for fourteen years, where Bill Murray lasted four mm -hmm. doing the show, mm -hmm. and uh, you're doing it, you know, three, four times longer than most people mm -hmm. ever set out. When did you start saying? You know, you when my daughter when, when my daughter was born, yeah, I thought here's a chance to um, put her through college, yeah, <clears throat> and get health insurance for her. And if I stay a long time, I will get because of SNL reruns, we would have SAG and after insurance, uh, health insurance, which is not easy to get anyway. Um, so I thought if I stay there, I can take I can take care of her. So I stayed on. Was there long talks with your agent, or was it just... No, are you kidding me? They're, yeah. they're getting free money. Yeah, right. So everybody thought this was I mean, was when a I quit point. SNL, um, yeah. the phone got real silent. Is that right? Oh, yeah. Um, People just stopped calling. And yet the whole... I mean, they're getting... I was making a lot of money. They didn't have to work for it. They mm -hmm. just sat there. And um, no, you think they're going to fight me on that? And you went out and did road gigs the whole time that... Yeah, the road gigs were to add to the college fund, yeah. I did mm -hmm. all these nasty clubs. Uh, I, I called them nasty clubs because they were clubs where people are making out and there are drink specials <laughs> and football games on. But they would pay me 20 grand, you know. Right. I mean, I'd be up there going... There'd be people like they would be... There would be NBA playoffs on and you'd be in this place in, in some state and at a roadside for $20,000 for five shows and people would be making out and uh, if you know, if I can tell you something about doing comedy um, people don't want to laugh when they're getting it on <laughs> they don't yeah. they don't want to laugh when yeah. they're getting ready to do the, to do the nasty yeah. like are we, are we going to do it tonight right. are we not doing it tonight let's have some more long, a long island iced tea and see if that helps us make the decision. Mm. And here's this guy up there going, so, any birthdays? <laughs> I mean, I wrote, I wrote, literally, for those, I wrote the foulest joke that anyone has ever written. And a lot of comics tell me it's the funniest joke they've ever seen, or their favorite, not mm -hmm. necessarily the funniest. It's the nastiest joke. I mean, I have it in this book. It's horrible. 
you know, mm-hmm. and yet the reason I did it was because you'd have to stand up there for 45 minutes and they're not paying attention. Right. They're not even looking at you. But you got to do your material, you know, like my daughter's going to college. <laughs> And they would. This one place had uh, fish bowls with Long Island iced tea in it. Like the whole damn a fish bowl. <laughs> like not a couple of drinks. <laughs> like here's a guy, here's a gal. They met in the bar earlier. We just asked if couples, co- you know, come in to watch the show. Here's a gallon <laughs> of of something that's just you know. I mean, it's it's like this far from rocket fuel, <laughs> and they're sipping it out of curvy long straws. <laughs> And holding hands and making eyes and thinking about this is the woman of my dreams, and maybe we're going to have. I mean, the whole thing that you do when you're mating, and um, <laughs> I'm up there going, uh, "Hey, uh, boy, how about that long-term care for the elderly bill?" Huh? <laughs> they don't want to hear it, you know. Um, so, but that's what was going on. Um, what are you doing now? Too, I know you're acting, but do you still go out back to the clubs <clears throat> and do stand? I do or? the comedy cellar because. Yeah. Um, I do these speaker things. I do one-nighters. I do benefits for yeah. uh, who you know. I I like doing benefits, so I go down and practice. Yeah, I'm doing this weekend. As a matter of fact, uh, and you'll never you'll never st- stay away from the stage, right? That's always going to be a connection. For What's you. interesting to me um, is that I in my last year or so of SNL, I started doing plays and doing well at them. I did Broadway one time, and I, when I say doing well at them. Um, you know, I was doing plays with like Tony winners, like you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Someone signaling you? No, but this, this guy seems. I thought he knew you. Just someone standing there until he got your attention. Oh, okay. <laughs> I thought it was like Secret Service. Yeah, I had no idea what it was either. I want to talk about that Clinton joke? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so that's what you enjoy most: acting more than anything else. I don't really enjoy anything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I, I don't. As long as you don't hate and despise, I think that's a help, though, right? No, I. You know, can I be honest with you? Yeah. I like going to. I like sitting in the right field bleachers at Yankee Stadium. I love that. Mm. So, people are like, wow, you, you miss doing impressions. <laughs> like, I didn't even like doing them then. Right. Yeah. You know. And is that what we sound like to you, by the way? <laughs> You like doing impressions? No, you don't. But when some, but I mean, yeah. you know, like <clears throat> I personally, and you know, uh, have had people come up to me and get really angry for. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know how much. Do we have any time left? Yeah, we got some time. Okay, I mean, the the people that came up to me that wanted me to do Clinton is astonishing. Right. And if I didn't do it, they got mad. I mean, this book, a part of what the book is about is 14 years of playing this man that, and how obsessed they were with Bill Clinton and not with me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I can't tell you how many people didn't like Bill Clinton after two dates with me. You know, I mean, I was, I've been hit on by chicks who liked Bill Clinton. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. I, I know you want to think Earth isn't like that. <laughs> but it is. Yeah. I mean, let, can I just give you a couple sure. examples? All right. I was getting a colonoscopy. <laughs> okay? We all know what happens. Uh, a camera going through 
I mean, really, an orifice not designed for, mm -hmm. only designed for a couple of things. <laughs> if, you know what I mean. Right. I'm digging myself in, but they're about to insert the camera when the anesthesiologist leans into me and goes, I mean, she was like turned on. She's like, what would Clinton say? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I said he would say, what is a nice girl like you doing in a place like that? <laughs> you know, I was at a college in the Midwest and a, a co-ed came up to me. I was walking to my car after performing. She said, Mr. Hammond, I will show you my boobies if you did President Clinton for me. <laughs> and, um... I said, young lady, that is so sick. That is so... <laughs> uh, Ron, I wish I were a better person. But the book I'm not. is, God, if you're not up there, I'm fucked. Put it together, please. Mr. Daryl Hannah. If you missed any or all of it, or you crave the comfort of listening to sounds that are familiar to you, that'll bring you back to your childhood earlier today, check out the Ron and Fest replay, weekdays at 1 a.m. Eastern, 10 p.m. Pacific. XM 105, Sirius 206, the Open Anthony Channel.